Albuquerque's macro aggression. Eddie Aragon, the rock of talk. Wednesday afternoon, I'm Eddie Aragon, The Rock of Talk on AM1600, KIVABQ.FM, rockoftalk.com, 550-5500 is the number to call here this afternoon, Roku TV, Amazon Fire and Apple TV, don't forget you can always, always, always download the apps at rockoftalk.tv and rockoftalk.com and uh, subscribe at rockoftalk.chat uh, as well, ladies and gentlemen, uh, you can also get our some podcasts on Stitcher, SoundCloud, Spotify, and how about the best way to do it, uh, which, of course, is audible. We have D-Dowd Musk uh, a little bit, uh, feeling a little bit better today. Uh, a better day with the dogs that didn't hear from him, so I'm assuming all is well. Uh, D-Dowd Musk, how are you? Uh, all is well for me, and I think, Eddie, all is well for the people of our country, and I hope we're a majority who are not big fans of infanticide. Apparently, the Senate Democrats have failed to achieve what they wanted today. I think they called it some kind of nonsense, like the Women's Health, oh, the Women's Health Protection Act uh, basically would have put Roe v. Wade into federal statute. Uh, the filibuster prevailed. They did not get the 60 votes they needed to move forward. And uh, good good victory for the pro-life forces today. And one of the people involved in that was, uh, well, Joe Manchin jumping to the other side to endorse a Democrat uh, who lost, uh, sitting congressman, uh, which was uh, interesting. But he does get on the winning side of it. Uh, as Democrats had acknowledged that their bill was certain to fail in the 50-50 Senate. No Republicans supported the measure. And Joe Manchin had broken with his party and opposed the bill. Democratic Party leaders see the vote as a crucial political step in the prospects for the midterm elections here in 2020. And it's not to be uh, at all because uh, it does not look good for them uh, moving forward. And uh, uh, unfortunately, the fight for them will not stop there. It will continue and probably and very likely, I think, Dowd uh, spill out onto the streets. Uh, according to um, Senator Patty Murray, I'm scared and I'm frightened for women in this country more than I have ever been before. You know, I did a uh, fourth hour to kind of kick things off and maybe some of you guys caught it. Maybe some of you didn't. We're working hard. We're doing a lot of stuff. And by the way, producer Eric uh, uh, backstage uh, in there doing everything uh, for Dowd and, and myself. And you know, we really kind of got into this conversation about just how much uh, they are hell-bent on making sure they want to preserve. And it just isn't on the, the, the right side of things. Uh, they want to preserve their right to choose. And uh, the way I phrased it was their right to murder. Uh, a majority, a plurality of uh, the country is not on board with, um, you know, a second trimester abortion. And uh, here in the state of New Mexico, we're beyond 22 weeks at the University of New Mexico. Uh, it went so far as to yesterday, and I, I will get into it uh, because uh, we will get into the, um, I guess, the frailty of the argument, which they're now making into more of an inconvenience. And I, I, I do mean an inconvenience. that it, The argument is so incredibly weak that they're literally plotting the amount of miles that they have to to drive that the person who wants to murder their child wants to be inconvenienced i'm not even kidding like is i going to have to drive to kansas or new mexico from texas they're doing that as far as out like that is how deceived that is how incredibly deranged these people have become 
So I don't think it ends here. I think it spills out onto the streets. And we have rocket high gas prices right now here in this country. We have a fire uh, up in northern New Mexico, which is likely going to be evacuating of all places. I can't even believe I'm about to say this. Angel fire likely tomorrow. Black Lake is already being uh, evacuated. And you're going to have the remainder of uh, that area probably be evacuated tomorrow, if not through Friday. These are tough times. The economy is down. NASDAQ uh, responding to a record high, record high CPI rate. Did you even see this? Is anybody paying attention, ladies and gentlemen? 8.3% CPI increase. 8.3% CPI increase. And, and it's as bad as that, if not a lot worse. And we continue to subsidize failing companies. I told you yesterday that there's a ripe opportunity to go ahead and remove Michelle Lujan Grisham from office. Okay. That is, that is right there. By the way, we'll have Rebecca Dow hour three uh, here in the Kiva uh, for the entirety of uh, hour three. And there is an opportunity to go ahead and remove her. And, you know, uh, Mark Ronchetti is leading uh, as far as the latest Survey USA uh, poll that has come out has got 44%. The Republicans need to get serious about how they're going to be approaching this particular election. I think the divisiveness needs to stop. I think that there needs to be a, a sincere debate. If you don't have a chance, get out of the race. It's just really that simple at this point. That That's where we are. That's how serious the conversation is. If you don't have $100,000 in the bank, what are you doing? You need to ask yourself that that, that very question. Uh, day after day in the Albuquerque Journal, I know that you can see this doubt. I can't see you, but I think that you can see me, hopefully. And uh, day after day, the um, calamity that has become New Mexico is on the front page of the Albuquerque Journal. You don't think that this is going to wear on the psyche of northern New Mexicans and Democrats in particular, which occupy a majority? The, when, you, when, when we make the fact statement, the factual statement, that these were prescribed burns, and uh, according to my friend, he states that two of these were downed power lines uh, from these starting. And I don't know where the uh, truth. All I know is that exactly zero of them were based upon arson. Zero of them were based upon anything having to do that was not of the government or that could not have been prevented. These are people that are being driven from their homes, their community, in the largest forest fire that we have seen in the state of New Mexico ever. I think we are beyond the 240,000 acres uh, by now, doubt, and the winds are continuing to gust up past 50 miles an hour with no signs of slowing down, at least through Friday. There's so much here and so much that we can talk about and so much that people are disappointed in and so much I think that people are saying, oh, is this really what we're coming out of COVID with? We're national news, top of the hour, every single hour. You hear it on USA Networks. They're saying it every hour. The forest fires are out of control. They don't know what to do. Michelle Lujan Grisham is waving the white flag. I don't don't know what to do here. We have 1,700 firefighters. We have $65 million. We declared a national emergency with no end in sight. We're now uh, to go ahead and uh, (laughs) going to be having to... uh, um, I can't even, I can't believe this because I have property up there, up in Angel Fire. We're going to have to evacuate Angel Fire, New Mexico down. That's how far they've let this go. This, that was 40 miles from, from where the, the origin of this fire was. The calf fire, yeah, 40 miles from Angel Fire. And now suddenly it's made its way over there. There's no stopping it. 
I was talking to one of my friends uh, who's up there who was showing me pictures of the plume. And I'm like, are you are you kidding? Is that is that's not real? That's a doctored photo. No, the plume is that large. It's that significant at this point. In fact, I'll put it up there so everybody can see it. Just look look at this. Look at that down. Yeah, Oof. there it is. Look look at that. I mean, those are thirty thousand foot clouds. Those are volcanic clouds. Volca volcanic, excuse me. Volcanic. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Looks like something out of the Philippines. <laughs> yeah, really, exactly. Yeah, you have uh, what was the name is uh, what's the name of that uh, that volcano in the early nineties? The tubo, yeah. There, there you go. So we've got a lot to talk about uh, here, and of course, Dowd had a new article uh, that came out today, which had lots and lots of response, and I think that that's an important thing uh, to address as well. Like I said, we're going to continue to follow the uh, the gubernatorial race, um, but I think the issues are there; they're right in front of us, and abortion has now become one, uh, become one one of them, and we have to focus on that moving forward in addition to all the other issues that are out there. Crime, economy, immigration, that's big. We set a record in this country last year, this past year, for over the last year, for the number of deaths for overdoses. Did you see that today? 21,000 plus. Unbelievable number of overdoses here in this country. So we're going to talk about that and a lot more uh, here in the Cuba Big Show uh, up in front of us. And I got to say, uh, I was I was pretty pretty happy overall, with the exception of one thing. On the front page of the Albuquerque Journal, there's some real journalism going on. Doubt I'm going to go ahead and uh, and and uh, bait you a little bit. Look what's on the front page of the Albuquerque Journal right there. What is that? Tax returns. Ah. Candidates voted on releasing the tax returns. Four of seven vying for governor's seat provided information. I'm very disappointed in those that did not release them. What did I ask Rebecca Dow? What is the source of your income? Where does it come from? What were you? And there it is, black and white. She put it, she laid it out there. Mark Ronchetti laid out his there. Even Jay Block laid his stuff right out there, okay? Michelle Lujan Grisham has laid their stuff out, Okay. I mean, I mean, th this is troubling. If your tax returns aren't out there as a candidate, and when's the last time the Albuquerque Journal actually asked this question? You know why they asked this question? Because we paid attention to it in the Kiva. This is what I asked Rebecca Down, and they're like, oh, what a great idea. I think we need to go ahead and focus on this. We need, we need to do real journalism. Whatever the Kiva is asking, we're going to go ahead and uh, put that on the front page, right? It's happening day after day now. We're driving that conversation moving forward. Maybe we are actually trying to improve our state. I don't know. I hope so. And that's what gives me hope for this year. Certainly that. Dowd, uh, I have to, uh, after you going through and me going through what we do uh, every year uh, with our taxes and, and dealing with all this, I got I to gotta say, you know, it, this is uh, almost the equivalent of, of not showing up and doing any sort of fundraising if you're not providing your tax return. Yeah. Um, what else I could possibly say about that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You want to run the state? You want to go ahead and uh, be in charge of an $8.6 billion, billion dollar budget? I think that's where we're at. She was left with 1.2 or 2.1 or uh, a, a god-awful amount of money that she had, okay? And the Albuquerque Journal focusing on that. And I, I had to say, okay, what? why are we focusing? Oh, yeah, that's because we brought it up. These are things that you want to know that you need to know. 
Who was taking money from the federal government uh, during this time? Who was getting the, you know, this was a, a, a big uh, cause for concern in the CD1 race, you might remember last year. I called attention to it. Mark Moore's, where was, where was he getting his money? You're going to do the mask? Oh, yeah, for a $2 million uh, TPP loan or whatever that was called. What was it called? PPP, whatever it was. With Carvana? Yeah. We asked him and he didn't get back to us. Remember, we yeah, had we, questions we, for him. Yeah, no, nothing came back. Nothing came back. Where are you getting your money? How, how, are you, how are you making ends meet? What's happening? Oh, we're running testing. Oh, we're seeing now that the uh, the testing itself was faulty. The windfall of money coming in for these companies. So we're going to talk about uh, a lot uh, uh, here today on the show. I do want to revisit the uh, first what I talked about last night in the fourth hour, which uh, became the first hour of the the national show, which was a focus on abortion. And absolutely sickening in terms of how they're making their argument. What's the argument? How inconvenienced these women are going to be. And there's something called the Something Institute that uh, we're going to get to. And I know Eric's certainly involved. And he's like, whoa, that was that was part of I had no idea. Yep. Uh, when you hear about this, uh, it's going to make you angry. But this is what the media is doing. The media is bullying everyone's opinion and say, oh, look what, how we're limiting. Meanwhile, Arizona is putting to death. Someone who killed somebody 44 years ago. <laughs> they put to, they literally put to death a 66-year-old man who is uh, mentally incapacitated, okay? And all the liberal media who can, it, it, I should say, uh, mentally, uh, you know, maybe not fit for that. But they did it 44 years down the line. They're trying to sort of equivocate that um, and ask all of the various questions of the uh, conservatives, uh, the conservative state of Arizona, who's deciding to go ahead and put, I believe in the, I believe in capital punishment. I believe in the death penalty, but I would qualify by that saying, uh, what good does it do to kill somebody who killed, to, to put someone to, uh, to death who, who killed somebody 44 years ago? Is that really a punitive measure at this particular point? Think about the family waiting for justice. Yeah, yeah. 44 years, 44 years of pain. And all you're doing is right, evoking all of that pain all over again for that family. They were waiting for a justice, but that justice needs to be swift and served quickly. There needs, needs to be direct accountability and ramifications. We'll never see capital punishment here in the state of New Mexico, at least in the near future, that's for sure. But I want to talk about abortion and the inconvenience, and we'll do that. But we return right here in the Kiva. AM 1600 KIVA, uh, com. People taking pictures from Edgewood today and uh, sending them out, out here to me. Uh, Eric, uh, by the way, is pulling a full day where he's at. Uh, you can see all of the plumes. There's four separate plumes from Edgewood. Edgewood, New Mexico, that can look all the way through northern New Mexico. It is devastating what's happening in northern New Mexico, and it's time that you hold the federal government. It's time that you hold your governor, Michelle Lujan Grisham, accountable, and uh, all the people who have had these, quote-unquote, prescribed burns in terms of managing our resources and the force. Back after a quick break here in the Kiva 420. On AM 1600 KIVA, ABQ.FM, rockoftalk.com. Thanks, everybody, for tuning in this afternoon.
Listen to that all day long. It is the Everly Brothers making their debut at the Grand Old Opry. That's where they did it back in 1957 uh, on this day. Just good, 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 good music. Uh, okay, let's get into it, uh, shall we? Uh, the Goodmacher Institute. And we uh, we covered this uh, yesterday. Absolutely uh, disgusting uh, during our fourth hour. But I think it bears repeating, uh, especially for you know, our local audience. And uh, here's how the local band, or excuse me, the local bands, <laughs> B-A-N-S, uh, as I'm coming out of the uh, Everly Brothers, um, are impacted uh, state by state. So 26 states, according to this, are certain to go ahead and change their abortion bans, okay? What we're going to see... I said their abortion access. What we're going to see is those red states are going to go ahead and be pro-life. They're going to make those changes. Okay. Hopefully it stays 6-3. There's some uh, hemming and hawing. Might turn it into 5-4. To and once you know that New Mexico, yeah, we're not going to change it. We're not going to about to overturn uh, anything. Okay. 26 states are certain or likely to ban abortion. Who are they? Where are they? Well, of course, it's Texas, South Dakota, North Dakota, Montana, Wyoming, Idaho, Utah, Arizona. Tell me if I missed a red state at this point. And the AP has the goal to tell us how to approach this conversation and all of this. Phrasing such as pregnant people or people who seek abortion seeks to include people who have those experiences. They're, they're coaching us on how to talk to you about this but do not identify as women such as some transgender men or some non-binary people. Such phrasing should be confined to stories that specifically address the experiences of people who do not identify as women. Okay. So apparently people who do not identify as women, Dowd, can uh, actually be pregnant. Ah. Yeah, uh, just educating you. I just want to let you know, uh, since you've been asleep for the uh, last 50 years and aren't moving forward with the way, you know. Life has changed, Dowd. You know, mm. Even biology has changed. I've been left behind, apparently. I, left behind. Yes, there it is. Reach out to reproductive rights groups. Here's what you do as an activist journalist. Healthcare workers, scholars, anti-abortion advocacy organizations, legislative leaders who determine what bills limiting or expanding abortion access advance in your own state legislature. Talk to them. Talk to women who have had abortion or those who will be the most directly affected by strict limitations. People who aren't on birth control, apparently, and who absolutely and undoubtedly need to go ahead and terminate a pregnancy after they've been pregnant for a month, two months, three months, six months, nine months. In states which abortion bans that could take effect after the Supreme Court ruling, ask whether exceptions exist for rape or incest. Those conservative evil, those evil conservative people. In states where future access is an open question, ask lawmakers on both sides what legislation they plan to introduce and whether legal action is anticipated 
What are you going to do to fight on behalf of the women who need this choice? State and local health departments can provide data on number of abortions performed. The Supreme Court does not overturn, does overturn Roe. Minority women will be disproportionately affected by increased restrictions, according to the statistic. Make sure you publish this stuff. Make sure you make people aware of what's going on. And by the way, a responsible group such as the Guttmacher Institute, because Dowd, as their slogan says, Mm -hmm. good reproductive health policy starts with credible research. Well, abortion is healthcare. I mean, we know that. Uh, apparently, yeah. There it is. All right. Uh, th- this is. Th- I couldn't even. I couldn't even believe what I was reading. There are little things that irritate me, and then there are things that make me mad. Changing the argument, changing the reference, like getting in, involved in an unfair fight where reason and accountability are just sort of thrown out the window, and you make up your own arguments, right? Just because you're bothered or bugged, right? And and that becomes the overall thing. That's what this is. That's what the Goodmacher Institute has done. And, and in part of their quote unquote, uh, good policy begins, or what, what is their slogan again? I, I forget. <laughs> uh, good reproductive health policy starts with credible research. Credible research. So they've done the research doubt. Here it is. Mm-hmm. Uh, here's what's gonna happen with a total ban in Arizona. They've done the increased percentages in driving. The increase in the average driving distance under the ban is 2,175%. Because if it's banned in Arizona, okay, affecting 1.6 million women of reproductive age, their current access to that quote-unquote health care is now currently only 11 miles. But if they do a total ban, they're going to have to drive 251 miles. 85% 85% of Arizona women will find their closest proximity to California, 6% to Nevada, 6% to New Mexico, and 3% to Colorado. They have literally told you that it's going to take an increase of 2,175%. Can there be a more callous argument? They're literally promoting travel abortions. How about Utah? Uh, 790,000 women, where they likely have the probably the lowest, uh, remember, the highest graduation rates, the lowest uh, number of, of probably abortions, uh, the greatest number of family support. The current uh, time to get uh, an abortion is uh, only 29 miles. What, what do you do that? Half an hour? Uh, that's convenient. You can get that done. No, nope. uh, here's what happens under a total ban. You'll actually have to do a one-way drive of 276 miles or an increase of 837% over the current 29 miles. Where are your closest states with no abortion bans? That would be Colorado and Nevada. That's the the inconvenience because good reproductive health policy begins with research. How about Texas? This this is what really got me. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, all of Texas under an abortion ban in Texas will all be coming to New Mexico. That's right, folks. Because a current one-way driving distance under current legal status is only 17 miles. It's a, you know, you can get there in, you know, 20 minutes. That's cool. Yeah, go get your abortion in 20 minutes. No, no, no. It, you're going to be inconvenienced by a one-way driving distance under the ban of 542 miles or 3,017%. That's where us activists need to fight hardest. Affecting the 7 million women who no longer of reproductive age ages 15 to 49, who no longer have access to an abortion in Texas. 
funny how they're uh, grading that all the way up to 49 and 50. I'm surprised they're putting women. Oh, yeah, they went so far in the AP articles to talk about, I think, uh, reproductive uh, rights in places like uh, the very lovely and very humanitarian Bogota, Colombia. That's right, folks. The U.S. Supreme Court appears ready to move the country in the opposite direction to Bogota, Colombia, which is somehow better. Listen to this. As women in the United States find themselves on the verge of possibly losing the constitutional right to access to abortion services, courts in other parts of the world, including many historically conservative societies, have moved in the opposite direction, including the very progressive and enlightened Bogota, Colombia. In February, Colombia's constitutional court legalized abortion uh, until the 24th week. Uh, Hooray! Wow! What an achievement! They're really moving forward there in Colombia, aren't they? Like, you can't believe the media and their culpability in all this. We, we've lost our collective minds. We are a godless society. You can truly say that. Just sort of like paralleling all of the various news reports with the uh, callous research, if you will, of the Guttmacher Institute. If the U.S. Supreme Court weakens or overturns Roe v. Wade, 26 states are certain to likely ban abortions, inconveniencing many of the women who are ready to murder their children in the womb. They're going to have to actually travel hours instead of just a few minutes to get it done. The map also shows which states are unlikely to ban abortion and would actually have the nearest clinic for your convenience for people driving from states where abortion is banned. That's the more humanitarian thing to do. These are the same types of people who have the same frame of mind that said, oh, yeah, this guy who murdered this three people or in this particular case today, 66-year-old guy uh, who actually murdered uh, 44 years ago when the woman was 21 years of age, they would tell you that we don't believe in capital punishment. We need to have understanding and compassion for criminals and the rehabilitative nature of our justice system needs to be installed and supported. This is ridiculous. Now, is there any reason why we can't win this argument in this year, this election year, during this, uh, you know, midterm elections across the country? This defies every, I think, good sense about it. Because if you had parents, as I stated, if you actually have parents who didn't believe in abortion, which you do, every one of you just uh, can all agree with that, then you'd be here. And you are. (laughs) Now, imagine if it was uh, that easy to go ahead and, and, and get that. Many of you would not have been here if you had that choice to go ahead and do so. 550-50-500. That's 550-50-500. We'll talk more about abortion uh, during hour number three, and uh, we'll get your thoughts and everything. Lots of people uh, texting in here this afternoon. Your thoughts first, uh, Dowd3000. Uh, well, it's, it's interesting how much they are uh, potentially overplaying their hand, Eddie, because I think a lot of... <clears throat> people in America, and it's not to our great credit that we don't examine the morality of abortion. I think a lot of, a, a big chunk of the populace just, it's uncomfortable. It makes them uncomfortable. Uh, you know, in America, we like to do our own thing. And uh, if, it, if, I, if I can't have any direct relation to that, uh, you know, when it's female reproductive stuff, just who cares? If we want to make this a national debate, in light of what we know now about science, in light of what we know about 
when children have you know a heartbeat and all these all these really very very interesting uh, things that they've been developing in terms of uh when when can a child recognize its mother or even before you know leaving the womb uh if you want to have that debate don't forget you're the people on, on your side who claim to talk about the science uh we can have that debate and an awful lot of americans who are willfully ignorant of a lot of these things they're going to learn things they've never learned before uh and i hate to cite you know you can't declare victory because somebody on the other side concedes a point to you but when mr lifestyle liberalism bill maher himself is dropping facts on his audience in california uh when as it relates to you know restrictions on abortion in europe and europe european many european countries doing more to protect unborn life than america at the same time that he says but europe's secular and enlightened and they believe in science uh do you folks on the uh pro uh extermination of unborn life community i mean on that side do you really want to raise people's awareness of these details because the more we debate this the more people on our side are going to be able to drop a lot of knowledge on people who who have willingly surrendered uh any knowledge base on this issue uh and uh i think we may come out our side may come out a little bit better so um you 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 kicked this hornet's nest uh, and you think you're kicking it towards your enemy, those hornets may come back and attack you. It's a fortuitous situation uh, for Republicans. They did not uh, seemingly strike upon this. In fact, uh, it's, uh, I, would, I would even go so far, far as to say it's dumb luck at this mm. point that they wanted to raise this and release this. I don't think anybody sort of played it out in terms of backfiring, but I think the hubris is incumbent... Uh, um, or I should say innate, uh, not incumbent, but innate uh, within the uh, left uh, doubt. They really did think that this would, you know, galvanize their base, get them to motivate and move. Yet what's actually happening is the conversation is happening in faith-based communities, of which many people in the progressive left are also part of. And they're questioning, hey, maybe I wouldn't be here if my mom actually had the, the type of choice that she had. In mm-hmm. fact, uh, there's such an AP article that has come out talking about exactly the Christian corners of this country. Many members of the minority faith that don't prohibit abortion fear the religious freedom will be infringed upon. Nobody's fearing that. That's not part of the mainstream conversation. No one feels like their faith is being infringed upon at this point because it's the preservation of life. That's what's going on. Polls show a majority of Americans support abortion right. Polls do not show that. That's false. That's fictitious. That's being pushed by a liberal media that's out there that is hell-bent on trying to change your opinion. See, this is what, what it was called by, oh, we're going to go ahead and uh, create the polls where no one's educated, and that's something that we haven't debated for nearly 50 years. That's, what we're at. that's where we're at right now. We have not debated this, okay? And now we get to debate it in a year where everything else is uh, seemingly coming apart, right? Doesn't make a whole lot of sense. So the Republicans are, are striking on some dumb luck because they, and we're going to get into this as well, in terms of uh, getting together, and those Republicans, I should say, that are getting together with Democrats and talking about how they want to support the, the war in the UK, in uh, Ukraine, excuse me, and support the Ukraine, and they find themselves in bed together with a number of Democrats, will not find themselves in bed together on this particular issue. And I think that that, again, is fortuitous and dumb luck uh, for the Republicans. And it's just the type of thing that we need. 550-5500, that's 550-5500. Let me read a number of of texts that have come in. And uh, I think, Dowd, you would agree with me 
that the Republican uh, base uh, has not cultivated this as an issue. This wasn't even on the top 10. This wasn't even on the radar for political issues uh, for the midterm, given oh, I mean, everything else that's coming no, up. No, it was all, it was inflation and crime and the border. And this one, like an asteroid, just came zooming into the atmosphere. And we win. We win on this. Uh, yes, minority women are affected. Abortion clinics aim at minorities. They aim to kill minorities before they're even born. They're racist. I think it's better to persuade women to give birth and prevent abortion. I agree with that as well. Women, please nurture life. We need change how we speak about pregnancy. We need change to say she is with child, carrying your child. She is not pregnant. Uh, Eddie, these are companies, according to Breitbart article, that will, quote, grant reimbursements for healthcare-related travel expenses for their services. One of them actually includes Elon Musk's company, by the way. Yeah, Tesla. Yeah, for all you conservatives who are jumping on board with the free speech and Tesla and all this stuff, understand who Elon Musk is. Grant reimbursements for healthcare-related travel expenses for services not available in their home state, including those related to reproductive healthcare and abortion. The list includes Amazon, Citigroup, Yelp, Uber, Lyft, Match Group, Salesforce, and Levi Strauss, as well as Tesla. Will New Mexico be their destination for abortion tourism? Absolutely. And we can beat Michelle Lujan Grisham on that politically, which is going to preserve life here in the state of New Mexico. Uh, Eddie, to those that support abortion, this from a libertarian, at what age of gestation period of a sea turtle egg are we still allowed to step on it before you call it murder or animal cruelty? I don't know if you can put a better reference uh, for that uh, as well. That is a tremendous, tremendous uh, parallel. Uh, you can't say that's a metaphor, but... Uh, just a, a, an as-if situation. Eddie, one of the great clips you'll ever see is uh, this libertarian comedian who was dead wrong on abortion. Joe Rogan was talking to him a couple of weeks ago, and he was saying, oh, oh, it's just a clump of cells. And tell me about all your memories as a fetus. And then Joe Rogan says, yeah, tell me all your memories of your, of your life as a two-year-old. Uh, just because you don't remember that doesn't mean your parents had a right to kill you. It's it really, you know, when, and he shut the hell up. When these people are put in their place, when they're exposed with their weak arguments, they really have nowhere to go. All right, good Joe Rogan. I would like to yep. hear that. That's a really good argument. Yep. Was it Blue Halo that was supposed to come here and then collapse? They're back. My son got offered a bucket of money to work for them. They bought buildings. He's part of a startup. Uh, for your information, Wyoming and Central currently, APD, CSI tape, ambulance leaving, no lights or sirens. Uh, I'm pregnant. No, wait, false alarm. I burped. Okay, this guy's all over the place, but good good text nonetheless. Truly all praise and glory to God that this latest demonic attempt by Schumer and his ilk to expand abortion in this country has failed. She's not saying say failing. She says has failed. I think that's the perception right now. The, the read on this is that it has failed. And that's why they're trying to stack the courts. That's why they try to do in the Senate what they tried to do today and they didn't they weren't able to get it done. But keep praying, Eddie, because these demonic people have no intention of stopping. They don't. They're going to take to the streets. The most honest statement any person should acknowledge about abortion, whether or not you support it, has always been a simple one in my mind. It's either you or me, kid. <laughs> and uh, finally, I like that. Uh, wow. And finally, I got a, a map of all the burns in northern New Mexico. It's as bad as that, if not a lot worse. Uh, from the Apache Mesa to the Ortega Mesa, right on side the uh, Riviera Mesa, this thing is expanding and fast, 50, 55 mile an hour, uh, winds uh, currently in uh, northern New Mexico. It does not look good. Uh, so fire maps, uh, these are all from something called inciweb.nwcd.gov. And uh, I will send this on if uh, doubt hasn't already received it. Back after a quick break here in the Kiva on AM 1600 KIVA, BQ.FM, We appreciate everybody uh, tuning in here on a beautiful Wednesday afternoon hump day. More talk uh, when we return. Stay tuned. 
In this sturdy old part of the city Where the sun refused to shine People tell me there ain't no use in trying Now my girl, you're so young and pretty And one thing I know is true If you did before Albuquerque's macro-aggression, Eddie Aragon, the Rock of Talk. I'm Eddie Aragon, the Rock of Talk, on AM 1600 KIV, ABQ.FM, rockoftalk.com. Hour 2 coming at you from the ABQ. Here I am, here I am with D-Dot Muska, Dow 3000. He's back, and uh, we are live here in the Kiva, uh, working through and just powering through any of those uh, technical snafus. You can find us on Roku TV, Amazon Fire, and Apple TV, and uh, helping Eric. Eric is... uh, you know, sort of uh, just getting his uh, talk radio producing chops as well. After being a cumulus and never getting an opportunity at the board, he gets one here, and uh, he's doing a great job. He just got to learn a few things here and there, and he is absolutely uh, on fire as usual. And uh, don't forget rockoftalk.tv, rockoftalk.com, and uh, podcasting uh, as well. Dowd was not able to uh, get to the notes because of those technical difficulties, but we will get them up. It takes about an hour one of the things I've never t- actually talked about, Dad. I have to sit there and wait for it to upload mm. and to finish up, and so it's uh, quite annoying. It's a big uh, file. We do a lot of talking. <laughs> yeah, we, we do do a lot of talking, as Dow does, and he does a lot of writing uh, as well. We were about to get to that debt doomsday before we got sidetracked, and I went into the total square mile of uh, the forest fires, which is absolutely uh, devastating northern New Mexico. But, uh, Dow, you've got the debt doomsday uh, article, lots of response uh, from uh, our listeners and the people who subscribe directly at rockoftalk.chat. Take it away. Yeah, it's uh, interesting to get such a quick reaction. Sometimes what I write takes a little while for people to digest. I think this one is a little more easily understood because when you trot around a term like $30 trillion, uh, and that's how much the federal government is in debt, uh, you're you're probably not comparatively in that much debt, ladies and gentlemen. You've, you've probably been fairly responsible fiscally, financially in your life. That's not what the federal government has done. From time to time, uh, the U.S. Department of the Treasury, the Congressional Budget Office, all these various uh, important organizations release their sort of state of the budget, state of the federal debt uh, reports. And by every year, the Government Accountability Office, which is kind of like the Inspector General for Congress, they go investigate all the various ways that the federal government wastes your money. They make their presentations to uh, politicians who then do very, very little about what's found. Um, They have to report on the nation's fiscal health every year. So uh, in May, they release their annual uh, report. And as Financial reports go, this one's kind of short. It's only 58 pages. I think the financial report of the U.S. government every month, uh, every year that comes out from the Treasury is, I don't know, three or 400 pages, which I've read through only one of those one time. It's, it's a very interesting document. But this is kind of a highlight uh, that, that the uh, GAO does. Uh, again, only 58 pages. I don't, uh, I don't encourage you to read the whole thing. What I call the money paragraph, and I'm going to read it word for word because it's very simple and undeniable. Quote, the federal government faces an unsustainable fiscal future. At the end of fiscal year 2021, debt held by the public was about 100% of gross domestic product. And I'm going to pause for a moment. Okay. It was 100% of gross domestic product at the end of fiscal 2021. Listen, this, if you remember nothing else today, remember this. A 33% increase from fiscal year 2019. In two fiscal years, we increased debt held by the public by 33%, okay? 
the Rona, basically, borrowing and printing all of that money. Projections from the Office of Management and Budget, uh, that is the president's uh, financial bureaucracy and the Department of the Tre Treasury, uh, the Congressional Budget Office and the GAO, all show that current fiscal policy is unsustainable. It's funny when I hear environmentalists talk about sustainable this and sustainable that while they have no knowledge that our, our fiscal path is completely unsustainable uh, in the long term. Debt held by the public is projected to reach its historical high, the World War II high of 106% uh, within 10 years and continue to grow at an increasing pace. And this is the final sentence of the, the big money paragraph. This ratio could reach 217% of gross domestic product by 2050. And before you think, oh, who cares about 2050? That's that's kind of not that far away. You know, it's uh, you know we're not talking the year 3000 here. We're talking 28 years from now. You know, 28 years ago we were talking about grunge music and and uh, Kurt Cobain. That, that wasn't that long ago. Uh, absent any change in fiscal policy, and I guess that's the the the, the key question. What what are the what are the changes going to be uh, in fiscal policy? So the, as much as people who rail against uh, you know, the Bernie bros will say, oh, corporate taxes aren't high enough. And people on the right will say it's illegal aliens. Listen, the federal budget is basically two things. 87% of the federal budget is two things. It's the entitlement programs. That's health care programs, primarily for old people, social security, and the military industrial complex, which is around a trillion dollars a year we spend on our defense. And you, know, you could throw in an extra 40 billion for uh, Ukraine. I'm sure we'll have time to get into that later. I'm happy to say Yvette Harrell was one of the Republicans who voted against that bill yesterday. And I got to, you know, I have my mixed feelings about Yvette Harrell, but at least she voted against that $40 billion of waste. So the big money is in programs, entitlement programs, Social Security, Medicare, Medicaid. Uh, fun fact, and I checked this the other day because I, I thought maybe we'd be seeing some improvement on this. Nursing home care over 40% of the nursing home bills in this country are paid for by the Medicaid program. Medicaid was a program passed in the 1960s as basically an afterthought. Uh, Medicare was for old people and old people getting sicker and having these terrible stories of old people being bankrupt by their medical bills. So that was passed in the 1960s. Medicare was an afterthought. It was okay. We don't want poor people in America to suffer either. We're going to have this little tiny program called Medicaid, and it's going to cover poor people who are you know, really destitute. Now, because of the spend-down phenomenon where a lot of old people liquidate all their assets and then they just become poor, quote-unquote, they have their uh, nursing home bills paid, uh, Forty, I think it's 42% up to now, being paid for by taxpayers. So we're nearing half of all nursing home bills paid for by uh a welfare program. That's really something to be awfully, awfully proud of, isn't it? Uh, isn't it, uh, folks? Anyway, what's going to happen moving forward? I mean, I'm a policy guy. I'm a numbers guy, but I'm also a political guy in the sense that I, I recognize what the powerful lobbies are. Old people vote. Uh, there's something like 40 million people belong to AARP, the most evil organization on earth, bankrupting the grandchildren and great grandchildren of the people who belong to it. I don't get that. Uh, Eddie, I was floating by my old man the other day when we were talking a concept called I don't hate my grandchildren. I want to start a nonprofit organization called I Don't Hate My Grandchildren, where older people dedicate, you know, 4% or 6% or 10% of their income every year to the organization I Don't Hate My Grandchildren. Its sole, or, its sole purpose is to reform entitlement programs. So Sebastian and uh, Samuel and my Aiden won't be paying 85% of their income in taxes for the welfare state, which again, primarily benefits the old people. So the money, at least in the short term, the, 
the money as as everything breaks up, and this assumes this assumes we don't have a fiscal crisis. And there's been a lot of uh, a lot of the green eye shade guys in Washington have been writing about the potentiality of a, a fiscal crisis, a, a debt crisis. And the, I think it was the CBO uh, wrote, the likelihood of a fiscal crisis increases as federal debt continues to rise uh, in relation to gross domestic product. Why? Because more federal debt could erode investors' confidence in the government's fiscal position and result in a sharp reduction in their valuation of treasury securities. Why can we pay for all this stuff? Uh, why can we fund all this stuff? Because people continue to buy treasury secretaries. And it's not all the Chinese. The Chinese, I think, only own something like 16% of, of the federal debt. It's don't blame right. China. We're making the decision to go into debt. Uh, institutional investors buy those treasury securities. Little grandmas buy a $50 savings bill for the grandchildren. European, a lot of Europeans buy uh, those treasury securities. Japan owns a lot of those treasury securities. We're borrowing the money, and we borrow from anybody we can find who's willing to give money to Washington. So they are warning uh, investors might demand higher yields to purchase those treasury securities. We're already paying a significant portion of the budget is servicing that debt. When the interest rate potentially goes up on that, big, big problems. Uh, additionally, concerns about the U.S. government's fiscal position could lead to a sudden increase in inflation expectations, which we don't have to worry about inflation expectations. We have regular inflation right now. Uh, a fear of a large decrease in the value of the U.S. dollar or a loss of confidence in the federal government's ability to repay its debt in full, all of which would make a fiscal crisis more likely. All right, so let's assume the best of this. Let's assume the best. Somehow, choices will be made in Washington. We will return to some kind of fiscal sanity. Uh, we will repudiate the worst four fiscal presidents in history, which would be, um, oh, uh, George W. Bush, uh, Republican, uh, Barack Obama, uh, Democrat, uh, Donald Trump, Republican, and, uh, oh, yeah, Joe Biden, Democrat. Boy, bipartisan caucus for wrecking our fiscal finance, our, for our, our federal uh, financial situation. Good good job, guys, those last four presidents. We've, we've done a bang-up job. Now, how does this relate to New Mexico. Uh, you know, we we at the Rock of Talk are always talking about federal federal dependency, and I can't believe I'm saying this because I think the Legislative Finance Committee does a lot of really terrible work uh, in terms of avoiding the problems of New Mexico. But they released a document late last year. These are the green eye shade people up in up at the Roundhouse, really the most powerful committee uh, up in Santa Fe, because it decides how the money is spent. In fiscal 2003, New Mexico's federal fund approach since then have, have federal fund appropriations, money coming from D.C., have grown by 169%. In the last 20 years, the portion of federal spending that accounts for total the total state budget has increased. Okay, in fiscal 2003, 34% of our budget, state budget, was paid for by the feds. In fiscal 2022, it moved up to 41%. Wow. So we're at Almost, we're at, we're all over forty percent in terms of what we quote unquote we spend in New Mexico, has but it's not really state, us, is it? Has it's any state, has any state ever been over forty? That's a uh, this is a great opportunity for the gubernatorial candidates to capitalize on. Has any state? I, yep, I dare yep. you to, to to ask that question. Ever mm -hmm. been that level? I doubt it. I doubt yeah. many have ever even really crossed the thirty percent threshold. Yeah, we're, we're probably in the category on our own. I imagine right. uh, maybe West Virginia, Kentucky, Mississippi are in the ballpark, but it uh, wouldn't surprise me if we were number one. Now, we got to break this down in, in two ways. That's the money that goes to the state government from Washington. But, oh, boy, are there a lot of other ways that federal money makes its way to New Mexico that the state government has absolutely nothing to do with. 
of all people, I can't believe I'm saying this. Uh, uh, oh, who was that? Moynihan. Daniel Patrick Moynihan, the drunken senator from New York uh, who retired. And his seat was picked up by, you know her, you love her. She's Hillary. got the best natural in political instincts of anyone on earth. It's Hillary Clinton. <laughs> uh, she, uh, so she, she hasn't kept up with this, this uh, research. But the Rockefeller Institute uh, in New York has kept up with this. Basically, the New Yorkers, like the New Jerseyites, like the Connecticutites, the nutmeggers, they wanted to know years and years ago, hey, we pay through the nose in federal taxation because our incomes are generally higher. Wall Street guys, financial guys, developers, hedge fund guys, uh, entertainers on East Coast, West Coast. Uh, what are we paying into Washington and what are we getting back from Washington? Right. So I will give Daniel Patrick Moynihan, the drunken senator from New York, I will give him credit for launching this investigation many years ago. And it's even continued after his uh, his demise. Here we go. I'm going to give you two numbers, and this will explain explain it all. On a per capita basis, now I have not looked at the last two years because the coronavirus spendathon has made things just you know cuckoo crazy. So I looked at 2019, the last fiscal year before all insanity broke out even more than normal. Per capita, for every person in New Mexico, uh, $6,738 was sent to Washington. Now that is everything that's corporate taxes you know that's uh, uh uh you know income taxes that's excise tax you know federal excise tax on cigarettes and gasoline and all that so that's the money we sent per person $6738 what we got back that year per person was $15682 more than double so we got a ratio back yeah. uh 9000 plus i mean the overage oh, yeah. is 9500 9, right there. and and of all 50 states and i ran the numbers last night only mississippi and kentucky got a better ratio in terms of their return on investment uh we're number 3 but you know not not a lot to be proud of so whether you're talking about the state budget that funds so many things or whether you're talking about individuals uh, and i'm talking about the earned income tax credit uh, if you have a job at one of the national laboratories, mm -hmm. uh, the, the the money that's flowing to New Mexico for the hydrogen hub, the people who are you know the consultants and the lawyers who are going to be hired on that, uh, we have so many federal facilities you know beyond the air bases, beyond the labs. We have the National Cave and Karst Research Institute. We have the NASA's White Sands facility. We have the Langmuir Laboratory for Atmospheric Research. We have the Sunspot Observatory in Cloudcroft. So. That money isn't counted in the state budget. That's money that just flows in and employs New Mexicans directly. What do you think is going to be cut if, if AARP is far and away in terms of just blowing every other lobbying group out of the water? The most powerful 40 million members, I think, or up to almost 40 million members. What's going to be cut last in the federal budget? Programs for old people will be cut last in the federal budget. So that means the subsidies that flow to state government in terms of transit subsidies or you know healthcare subsidies for the non-elderly or money that's spent on individuals if you have a job working for the federal government but it doesn't relate to old people you might work for a national lab you might work for the national cave and karst institute in carlsbad new mexico which i'm sure has fine researchers but they're paid for by federal money the discretionary spending the non-entitlement non-elderly spending is going to be cut first because those people don't vote at the same rate that old people who have access to aarp do so we are uniquely positioned in New Mexico to be harmed disproportionately by the shift in federal spending that is going to happen. I'm not, I'm not, this isn't a prediction. This is going to happen. I, we're not, we're not, we're not, we're not joking around here. By 2050, 85% of all federal revenue will be going to cover 
programs for old people, 85%. So the money is going to be shifted as much as it can to retain the most powerful voting block in America, old people. And all these other projects that I've talked about that are present here in New Mexico, they're going to face real cuts. They're going to face eliminations. They're going to be have facilities that are going to be shut down. We've known about this for some time. This didn't happen yesterday. And what have people in Santa Fe done? Have they gone to voters and said, guys, we, you know, this is, there's going to be pain here, but we have to build a private sector economy here. We have to do school choice. We have to cut taxes. We have to pass a right to work bill. We need a robust private sector here because we are more arguably more at risk from the federal, the looming federal debt disaster, the bomb that's going to go off than any other state than all other states. No, they haven't done any of that. And what we've seen in the last few years, 26.1 billion flowing into New Mexico, MLG boasting about how uh, uh, childcare daycare is now free. Where do you think that money comes from primarily? Uh, it is shameful. These the, the greed and the myopia of the people who've been in charge of this state. And it goes back to a couple of essays that were written a couple years ago by a native New Mexican who was talking about leadership in his state. Um, uh, a couple of years ago, a, a fiscal analyst said that the, the debt explosion that's going to happen in America is the greatest uh, avoidable crisis in human history. Mm -hmm. We could have stopped this. We could have stopped this. At the turn of the century, the baby boomers' incomes were out of control. Silicon Valley was booming. Stock market was through the roof. We had a couple of federal fiscal years in which we had a surplus. We could have seized that moment, Bill Clinton, George W. Bush, we could have seized that moment, set aside money to take care of the old folks, shifted away from the entitlement state, and we could have avoided this. Now we're sitting on $30 trillion in debt, the four worst fiscal presidents in American history, all in a row, bing, 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 and New Mexico's future, Eddie. Whew, you know, part of me has always said Idaho might be the place for me. I, I fear for the future of this state. It is just, it's so exposed to the federal debt bomb and no one wants to talk about it. We talk about it. You can read all about it at rockoftalk.chat. I think one of the things that we can, great job, uh, Dowdrow. I think one of the things that we can do is sort of take a couple of lessons from Vladimir Putin and uh, focus on the resource rich uh, or yes. riches of, of any state. Uh, certainly Greg Zanetti has been speaking about that, but any of the gubernatorial candidates can pick that up and then just talk about how we can basically apportion that to the rest of the world instead of us being a net taker. Uh, back in 2014, I forget the name of the author, but uh, it happened in subsequent years in Forbes magazine talking about a debt spiral state. Yep. The debt spiral state is New Mexico. More takers than makers. The takers usurp that. I think we got up as high as a 1.42 for every $1. So $1.42 was spent on New Mexico versus the dollar that's coming out. That's unsustainable. But that, uh, to Dowd's argument, it's making us more and more exposed uh, to the uh, potential uh, calamity that should befall us if we default on our debt, which we will. Uh, Dowd is uh, making the claim right now that before 2050, that states will have to be self-sustaining and support themselves. We can only do that if we switch to a resource uh, uh, dependent as opposed to government dependent uh, type economy, which would encourage private investment of things uh, to mine and pull things out of the ground in addition to all the various other things that we get. I know that uh, people can even export if you wanted to go so far. I don't recommend it right now, even though we're investing and subsidizing millions in it, subsidizing and exporting solar energy, which makes no sense. But, you know, certainly they're uh, investing in that. At least that would be preferable to us uh, deciding that we're going to wait for the government continue to bail us out. They're shutting down coal plants and energy is uh, certainly one of those things that New Mexico uh, can offer. And, you know, 
I think as we look and stare down the barrel of this uh, midterm election uh, that's coming in, these are important issues to pay attention to. And the opportunity exists for us uh, as long as we can preserve the argument in a public sphere. The news media is not going to do that for you. 4, 7, and 13 are not going to go ahead and talk about you know, our advantages. And, and, you know, we can put this in very simple economic terms and talk about comparative and competitive advantages. <laughs> New Mexico has those. We don't develop them because we give them away because we're pursuing a political agenda. And that uh, political agenda happens to be exactly the Energy Transition Act, uh, which we have committed to through two, four, two, 2045, which uh, will ironically uh, sunset on us in 22 years at a time when we don't need it to because we'll be looking for that money. So a lot to uh, uh, contemplate and think about there. We certainly need to move uh, more towards a uh, private sector uh, uh, type uh, economy here, but you can't do that if uh, the government is getting in the way of that uh, by telling you what you consume, can consume, how much you can consume, and uh, what you're allowed to produce, and then penalizing those businesses uh, that uh, are trying to go ahead and jump into the ground or jump into the sky to go ahead and get those resources and redistribute them uh, for a nice payday for the state of New Mexico. 550-5500, that's 550-5500. Just so much that is jam-packed as every article is, is of course, at rockoftalk.com. 525 uh, here in the Kievan, we return. Uh, more great talk. And I think we're going to jump into inflation. How about it? Uh, it didn't really subside, folks. Yeah, we dropped just a little bit, uh, but not enough. From 8.5 to 8.3. And I think uh, it bears uh, us paying attention to what's going on nationally in this economy because uh, it's going to take about two years to impact the uh, state of New Mexico. Thanks, everybody, for tuning in back and forth. Thirty-one here in the Kiva. You gotta love a little Led Zeppelin uh, here. Or I think that one. What is that? The ocean? I think. Ocean. If I'm not mistaken, that's in. Well, uh, it feels like an ocean. An ocean of inflation that is uh, coming in. Inflation eased slightly in April after months of relentless increases, but remained near a four-decade high. That's right, eight point five percent. Now at eight point three percent, making it hard for millions of American households to keep with surging prices, including the highest prices ever for gasoline. Now, wouldn't this be something that you would penalize Michelle Lujan Grisham for? If I signed an act that would make your whatever more expensive and I was in charge of your household, wouldn't you immediately fire me? That's essentially who she is and what she's doing. Consumer prices jump 8.3 last month from a year ago. Government said Wednesday below the 8.5 year over year surge back in March. So it is declining a little bit. Um, but uh, I'll tell you, that's going to be a strong indicator that they're going to have to do more with the Fed to increase the rates to bring down the inflation. Wednesday report contains some cautionary signs. 
and the economist is just putting this up. What is behind America's stock market plunge and how painful will it be? Very painful. And what's behind it? Joe Biden and the Democrats. That's what's behind it. Uh, excluding the volatile food and energy categories, so-called core prices jumped twice as much from March. The core prices jumped twice. Okay. Now, we're just taking, when we look at the inflation, we're talking about the overall number. We're talking about the consumer price index, the basket of goods, uh, if you will. The increases were fueled, okay, so core, by spiking prices for airline tickets, which, by the way, just over the last couple of days have started to come down, like, and come down in a hurry. Spirit Airlines uh, flying out of uh, New Mexico going forward. Uh, If you looked at the uh, price of tickets, uh, like from here to Vegas, for example, I think you can buy six tickets from Spirit Airlines beginning August 3rd for the price of one round-trip ticket if you were to try and buy to jump on there tomorrow. That, that's how expensive wow. it is. It's like a $700 round-trip ticket. So, Dowdy, I know you're going to uh, – I'm, I'm trying to uh, lead Dowd on here, you know, with <laughs> drive his money, if you will. Uh, Dowd, you want to get your, your airline tickets beginning August 3rd from Spirit Airlines okay. instead of Southwest Airlines. I, I know we all have a – brand recognition and thinking but but honestly it's a seat it's a plane there's gas and it's got to leave and land and i know you're a little bit of a nervous nervous uh uh flyer as most people are by the way did you know you're in the majority down oh i always assumed i was in a small minority <laughs> wow, no not, really not for plane uh you know you've got uh, a majority of people who are on planes that are uh, that are pretty nervous about going. The nervous Nellies are in the majority. All right, <laughs> they are absolutely. Uh, just look at when you have turbulence. Uh, recently, on a trip back from Washington D.C. and then uh, from uh, Phoenix uh, to Albuquerque, I mean, hitting a little bit of turbulence, it was like I was like, whoa, what's going on? Is this a rough? Flight? Oh, the flight attendants are going to be getting up. We're gonna we're gonna stay seated. I mean, even the flight attendants themselves are pretty uh, nervous. So here it is. Core prices jumped twice as much from March to April as it did in the previous month. Spiking prices of airline tickets, hotel rooms. Hotel rooms have started to come down already. They're already gearing up to react. It's a, a lot of what we talk about in economics is, I know Dowd knows this, but... Uh, Elasticity. Elasticity. Oh, I love that. Elasticity. It feels like a schoolhouse rock type of uh, rhyme. And uh, new cars. New cars also coming down. You know what else has been coming down for the last uh, six months? Used cars. You remember the year-over-year numbers in the used car stuff? Pretty crazy, right? Apartment rental costs also kept rising, and actually apartment rentals are continuing to rise uh, because of the cost of constructions and the lack of the availability for capital coming from major banking institutions. So, according to uh, Eric Winograd, there's still a long way to go before inflation returns to more acceptable levels. So, what he's telling you what he's telling you is that there's going to be a hike in interest rates at least four, maybe five times. They're going to continue to hike interest rates until we get to an inflationary number. Mark my words of 2% or less. Okay. You will continue to see a hike in interest rates. Mark my words until we get to 2% or less, Dad. Uh, doubt I know always uh, uh, know that you're keeping track of everything that I say and that's well I, it's you, know, you you've been right so far Eddie and you know the, the last time we we killed inflation it was Paul Volcker in the early 80s I was a a little a little wee lad wee Irish American lad I didn't know what was going on when I was seven eight nine ten years old Eddie but they had to drive those interest rates up and and uh, boy it caused a lot of pain but at least it broke the back of inflation but 
you know, we, <laughs> if we have to go through a process like that again, it's going to be hurtful. One of the things that uh, I think your governor should be doing right now, she's not, she's a Democrat. She has an agenda and a policy. Uh, best thing that she could do right now is uh, give people an income tax holiday. Uh, so for the people that owe them and businesses that owe them and various other people that owe them based upon the windfall of money that's coming from the federal government, I believe you said $26.1 billion. Yep. Uh, I think it's, uh, I thought it was a little bit higher than that, but regardless, 26, 27, tomato, tomato, it's a lot of money that's coming in. And we need some reprieve and relief and we need to brace, right? As you would on a crashing plane down, right? Do you know, do you know the brace position in a crashing plane is? It's where you uh, have basically full. Uh, okay, let me let me fill you in. Just in case uh, you might, I know I'm, where you're going. <laughs> <laughs> That's where we're going. We're about to hit the turbulence from thirty five thousand to twenty thousand feet, and uh, you're going to feel all sorts of stuff. In fact, let's go over the uh, since we're talking about uh, we'll talk about forty thousand feet or forty year highs and lows. Let's go back all the way to forty year high. Okay, people are like, well, has it been this high since uh, blah blah blah? It's like, well, how do we know that? Well, because. There's actually people who track this stuff going all the way back. It's called the U.S. Bureau of Labor Statistics, folks. Um, you know, by the way, Mauro Batali uh, acquittal uh, today. Yeah. I didn't even know. I didn't even know he was still around. The, the ugliest shoes uh, known to man, also known as the Crocs, is what he's known. He makes a great. He makes a great uh, penny ala vodka as well as a. Uh, um, uh, vodka noki, which is amazing. I love. I love noki. Um, I, I don't look like I love Noki anymore, though. That is pretty good. So I do like that. Okay, so 20-year high, or excuse me, 40-year high. Not since, uh, let's let's see if we can get uh, here. Come on. Come on, baby. Let the good times roll. They were not rolling very good during Carter, President Carter, one of the worst uh, presidents in the history of our country. And I, I can't seem to get it. Okay, here we go. The very beginning. We were at 11.8% in January in 1981 when uh, one president, Ronald Reagan, assumed office. Okay, let's just track it throughout the year. By December of that same year, okay, because we're trying to track to see how far it's going to come down. This is the pain threshold. Okay, we have it called the misery index in economics. We studied it. What's the misery index? The compounding of inflation coupled with unemployment. Any time that it's over 20 together, that means if you had 10% inflation and 10% unemployment, you would be looking at complete and total misery. That's the misery index. Okay, that's why they refer to it as that. Look it up. What's really cool about this right now is we don't have a whole lot of unemployment. The labor market's very tight. Well, what did we hear today? It's kind of curious. We're starting to hear the very first inklings of layoffs. Anybody know why we're having layoffs? Because businesses can't keep up with the cost. Now, just look up layoffs in the U.S. And yeah, the big one today was Carvana, uh, uh, 2,500 employees. Uh, how many employees does uh, Carvana have? And let's just look at that as an overall proportion. Uh, they probably have what? 20, 12% of employees? its workforce. Okay. 12%. 12% drop in a workforce. Okay. That's a chunk. <laughs> okay. That's a chunk. Let's just, let's just grade that against everyone who's competitively looking at their books. And let's say you decide that you want to go ahead and lay off 10% of your workforce, compound that against the current unemployment rate nationally, which is what? 3.7%, I think is where we're at. Is that, is that about right? Mm -hmm. 3.7 on top of the 10%. In a real number, right? We always talk about real CPI, real numbers, and what it actually would be in today's numbers, not three months ago, right? Because you have a lagging indicator. 
So what you're going to see between now and probably mid-summer to late summer is a whole slew of layoffs. And it's going to be bumpy, okay? We're flying over. There's forest fires, big gusty winds. Uh, you have cross uh, 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 wind as you're approaching Denver, and you're going to reach some turbulence. We're going to have some we're tough bumps. That's what you're basically going to be experiencing between now and the end, end of the summer, okay? How does that play politically? Plays well for Republicans, okay? Because now we get to hang this all in the Democrats' head. Democrats are in control of everything. I was talking to a friend earlier today, and he was just like laying it down. It's like boom, 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 boom. Hit those notes all the way. Because finally, yes, the Democrats are in control of what? The executive, they're in control of the, ju no, excuse me, not the judicial. They're trying to make sure that they're in control of the, the judicial. The legislative with the Senate and the House, and they, they, they want to stack the courts to be in, in, in control of the judicial. That's on a federal level. On a local level, we know that they own everything here in the state of New Mexico. Who's going to be responsible for the pain? Well, it's going to be everybody from Michelle Lujan Grisham to Brian Colon and everybody else who happens to be or is, is trying to attain power. This will bode well for Republicans here in the state. We have to take advantage uh, of this opportunity. So what's the real rate? Probably more like 22%, 23% in real terms. Factor in the labor participation rate, I think, Dowd, uh, we have one of the lowest here in this state oh, yeah. across the country. What, 53%, I think, is where we're at. I think West Virginia is still leading the way, correct? Yep, yep. Yeah, like 50%. Yeah, West Virginia. I think We're not, we're not worse, but we're close. <laughs> we'll talk about uh, West Virginia. Well, Eddie, just before we, we leave Carvana, I've been just I've been clicking around here. Yep. Not so much catastrophic layoffs, but there's an interesting piece on CNBC about how tech – you know, tech stocks are getting more battered than any other stock in this sell-off. Uh, Meta has announced it's pausing hiring. Oh. Amazon may be doing retrenchment. They actually use the word over, quote-unquote, overstaffed because maybe they staffed up too much during the Rona because everybody was home mm -hmm. ordering from uh, Amazon. Uh, Uber it said that the company will, uh, quote, treat hiring as a privilege and be deliberate about where and when we add headcount. Robinhood, the retail brokerage, is cutting 9% of its full-time staff. And of course, it wasn't that long ago that Peloton said it's cutting 20% of its staff. Uh, this, this layoff trend, it may have uh, may have legs, Eddie. Yeah, no doubt it does. I think the big uh, indicator on this, like I was telling you about the uh, stock market, right? I said, all you have to do is watch one stock. What's the stock? Amazon. What are people doing? Contract work for Amazon, making deliveries, running trailers, right? What do we know about Amazon? They're not really a profitable company, okay? There's a lot of people that depend upon it. It's got the best name brand around, maybe ever in the history of all corporations. I don't know that anything is more dependable, right, than Amazon. You don't care if it's a day late. You still think it's early. It could be two days, three days, four days late, and you'll be like, oh, my God, that's better than going to the store, okay? <laughs> what, what have you seen over the last six months to a year in Amazon? The crushing of small business, where have you seen it? What has happened? These small business competitors, and there's a million, shop for any product, and they're all shopping them, of course, on Amazon. They said, okay, we're going to throw up our hands. We're going to continue doing what we're doing, uh, but we're going to go ahead and put it up on Amazon. They're slashing prices. You can literally shop around like you're in, uh, you know, sort of a, 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 a bin store, a value bin store. Where you're like, oh, they're selling it at 15%. Now you're selling it at 20%. 20%. I was looking at pillow shams last night. Yes, no, no. 
not for my new Eddie. Eddie is trying to like dress up his place and he's looking for pillow shams. No, no, no. I just, I'm just kind of that way. Okay. I just like looking for stuff. Oh, greatest curb your enthusiasm scene of all time when the kid makes the the pillow sham with an inappropriate symbol. By the way, you want to you want to see that episode? <laughs> what uh, what season was season six? Um, yeah, mid midpoint. I would say yeah, I it's got to be because those be the ones I missed. Well, Larry was dating a girl. Uh, her son was let's say uh, festive, uh, <laughs> and Larry bought the boy a uh, a a a, a, a um, sewing machine. <laughs> and uh, he was very excited that he was going to be making uh, the Dorothy costume from the Wizard of Oz. Yeah. And uh, Larry didn't he didn't get uh, he didn't get a lot of loving after that because the boy's mother was in deep, deep denial. Uh, and then Larry taught the child all about Hitler <laughs> and a particular symbol associated with Hitler. And the child went on completely oblivious, went on to produce some swastika pillow shams hey, to, give, to give it, out to people. He, yes. he was just making a Native American symbol, don't you know? The last funny man in America, Larry David. No, and the only <laughs> last, the last uh, honest man in America as well, besides, I think, uh, what we talk about here. But I think this is important. If you pay attention to the Amazon stock and you look at what they are doing, and once you see that they have a massive number of layoffs, and let's not forget to factor in what has Amazon been up against? Unionization. Could there be a worse time right now, Dad? That, and you know, you're a big right to work guy. Could there be a worse time right now to unionize? I mean, it's an embarrassment of riches for the gubernatorial candidates, right? Like, if you literally get to here's here's what you get in uh, 2022, you get a gubernatorial candidate who's going to fail on every argument in Michelle Lujan Grisham. She's responsible for all the rest of the governors across the country, including on the COVID response, right? I mean, how do you how do how do we not win? We can convert uh, half of the Democrats probably at this point. I mean, it can be that exciting. Eddie, it's so bad. We're into May so far this year. No Rolling Stone puff profile. No, no. Washington Post interview. No Dang. fawning New York Times Dang. coverage. There you go. So, <laughs> A different year for MLG. There it is. It's certainly that. Yeah, remember Poor that girl. big puff. Uh, uh, yeah, uh, remember that big puff piece uh, back in May. Uh, I think it was May fifteenth, uh, twenty twenty, in the uh, Rolling Stone, where they had that. All right. So the, very quickly, let me tell you how this is going to go metrically, and we're going to skip ahead. Sort of like, let's do two years by two years. December of eighty one, it only declined about three percent to eight point nine percent. Then all of a sudden, oh, Ronnie, what did Ronnie get? Yeah, Ronnie went down to 2.6% in August of 83. That took two and a half years. What's two and a half years from now? Yeah. Yeah. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. <laughs> a momentous a occasion. <laughs> presidential election. Uh, what was that? Uh, what did they say? It's the economy, stupid? Yeah, it's going to be the economy for the next two and a half years. Let's move it ahead to April of 86. We went down as far as 1.8, 1.6%. And it went down as far as during Reagan, 1.3%. And then it didn't vault back up again until over 5% until, uh-huh, we're not going to raise taxes, right? Uh, that, of course, was uh, George Bush uh, back in uh, May of 1990. And then it went back down again in 93, to 3%, and pretty much hovered at that area, more or less. Never getting over 5% until July of 2008. Yeah, on the um, precipice 
of the housing crash. No, you were about to think that I was going to say Barack Obama caused that. No, 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 no. It was all the uh, funny money uh, statement uh, banks, uh, <laughs> or what was it? The stated income uh, uh, home loans that were coming in. And then you just saw it plummet with the crash. When we went into negative, negative territory, what happened to the housing prices as they collapsed, you had things that were gaining, you know, 40, 50%. I was in Las Vegas, Nevada. And then they crashed all the way down to a negative 2.1% inflation. Remember all, all those strippers buying homes in Miami? <laughs> oh, yeah, the big short, good one. So then it uh, bounced back up to uh, 3.8% and stayed at 3.8% or below. In fact, uh, during uh, a good old uh, Donald Trump, the greatest president in the history of this country, uh, please do not run again, Trump. Please do not run again. 1.7% when he started, it stayed. The highest it got during uh, Donald Trump's administration, 2.5%. And as soon as Joe Biden jumped in, it didn't take him until uh, good old uh, April of 2021. That would be last year and a month to get to 4.2%, folks. And prices have been jumping ever since. And now literally at the highest that they have ever been, including your gas prices. 550-5500, that's 550-5500. Uh, people on inflation, here's where we are. Let me give you the actual numbers uh, so we don't blend them all into one. And this is where... You know, we can literally pick apart Governor Michelle Lujan Grisham and get the win this year, okay? Prescription drugs only up 1.7%. Okay. They've been passing passing the savings, but I also like savings the money. Hospital services, 3.6%. Rent, apparently, only 5.2%. I don't know how real that number is. Uh, Dowd, I think you in your own right have probably seen a much higher uh, jump than that uh, in, in your own Actually, record. I'm the only person in America who's benefited, Eddie, because I... Um going into my own lucrative business now, so my association with the Rock of Talk, I was able to sign a long-term lease that actually oh. cut my rent by about $200 a month. So I'm I'm living large. <laughs> oh, Dad. I beat the odds. <laughs> You're more confident in me than I'm in confidence in you. Uh, restaurants up 7.2% for those that could stay open. And I think you're seeing them jacked up a lot higher than that. And honestly, I don't know that anybody really minds paying the higher rates at restaurants right now. Is that a fair assessment? Hmm, hmm. Yeah. I wonder if it's reflected in the in the tipping, though. I wonder. <laughs> I don't. I don't know. I mean, at this point, I think people are just uh, restaurants are sort of like the modern day cathedral. You're happy to go there, make the donation, and take care of and interact with people. They get a sort of a lot of the fluff that's beyond the food and beverage. I think, well, wouldn't you say? Well, there's another way to save money, Eddie. You go get the early bird special, and they give you the senior <laughs> discount. You know, there's another way to save money. I got a dollar a breakfast sandwich over at McDonald's. I'm already bracing for the drink. I went this morning. That's the ultimate inflation buster. No, I'm serious. <laughs> I, I literally, I, did I show you my McDonald's app? I'm so no. proud oh, the of app. The app. Was, All right. You get it. I think I still have a free fry tonight. I mean, given the amount of, I can, given the oh, amount of weight that I've lost, I can afford to go ahead and uh, yeah. go to McDonald's for the, my, the worst word besides moist, I think for a lot of people is splurge. I hate that word. Tincture? I just, started, I just started, I decided to splurge on myself. Yeah, I deserve. Now, what? It, yeah, uh, Eric's doing uh, sort of uh, <clears throat> some type of graphic uh, <laughs> gesticulations uh, here in my studio. So, uh, well, I'm glad he's not on uh, camera at Rock of Talk uh, TV. Okay, I'll say uh, dry cleaning is up 10.3. percent Who's getting dry cleaning anymore? Who I was going to an office anymore. <laughs> I was getting dry cleaning done for a while. I love the cleanery. That's a great business. And uh, I am a client, but, um, you know, I'm, I think I'm one of the few that actually gets 
dry cleaning. Groceries overall, 10.8%. Major appliances up 12.1% on the durables. Okay, here's where these skyrockets in flight. Uh, baby food up 13%, not to mention the Biden restrictions on baby food uh, at the borders. Hotels up 20%. People are out and about and they're traveling. Here's what's happening this month. You need to know this, and I'm telling you first, hotels are coming down. International travel, by the way, guess what? Coming down. Prices? Wow. Oh, I've been shopping Expedia like a madman. <laughs> I have been looking at I'm, I'm like tracking the, the, the rates on a daily basis. I absolutely am. You can see them chasing April like it's November 2022. Wow. It's hilarious. They're like, oh, yeah, we, we need to make that money back on this. So we're willing to offer up X, X. And they're trying to get everybody to commit and they go non-refundable, right? And they ask you to insure it and back it up just in case it gets canceled. They're asking you to go to non-refundable and literally you can pick up trips for like 50, 60 cents on the dollar. Wow. What they were advertising them last week. I'm telling you last week, it's crazy. Those are the deals that they're offering. It's going to get crazier out there. Used vehicles up 22.7%. Airline fares up 33.3%. Those are coming down. Those have come over, um, come down just in the last 48 hours. And then gasoline down. And nobody knows this stuff better than me. Who's traveled more? Do you know anybody who's traveled more than me this year? You don't. There, you you can't. You don't know anybody who's traveled more than me in the last three years. No, no. there's not a single person you know, right? And nobody can tell you more about that. And everywhere me. he went, ladies and gentlemen, he had two masks on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, both on my rear. That's right. Uh, so when and then gasoline up forty four point two percent, and gasoline at its highest rate ever. Uh, New Mexico should be capitalizing on this, but. Uh, Yet again, that's another thing that our gubernatorial candidates uh, can capitalize on down. So, uh, well, you know, Eddie, we were, just to follow back on the on the, la yeah. the last segment, there was some there, there's a piece of good news, and I don't really know the details because the details haven't been released yet. But mm. uh, and I, I know lately people have been accusing me of being a Mark Ronchetti shill, the guy I was saying two weeks ago I'd never vote for, but right. he he is he is planning to announce this Alaska style oil and gas dividend payment Love to it. New Mexicans. You know, Eddie, that, you know, I, I do kind of have mixed feelings about that because I don't want people thinking of, you know, we own this land in common. That's not property rights. But the, the, the benefit of that side, which maybe I could be brought around to this, is put giving people a stake in the health of a very important industry, a, a real energy industry. Uh, I got to give uh, Ron Ketty's people credit for that. I'm really interested in, in the details of that plan because uh, if anything that would inject the idea of pri private of a private sector economy to the minds of new mexicans is probably a good thing so i'm 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 all ears when it comes to that proposal it might prove to be a really really solid good idea it is a good idea uh, and uh i think once we get the details uh in the general i think we'll all be pretty uh happy about that dad you sent me something earlier the measure was backed by every voting Democrat by nearly three out of four Republicans. And this has to do with the Russia-Ukraine. What we didn't factor in was the additional costs and the additional monies for likely what's going to be the expen most expensive war in the history of this country. And no, I'm not talking about World War II. I'm literally talking about Russia-Ukraine. Uh, uh, why are the Republicans uh, backing this and this just coming out today, Dad? Uh, I, I just, for the record, Yvette Harrell voted against this, uh, according to the, the list of the 56 Republicans. Uh, my new personal hero is Representative Billy Long. Billy Long is from Missouri's 7th Congressional District. It Missouri. is located along the borders of Kansas, Oklahoma, and Northwest Arkansas in the buckle of the Bible Belt. And Billy Long voted against this. He told the local paper, quote, my constituents spoke out loud and my constituents spoke out long and clear. 
They were not in favor when we have so many problems that need addressing here at home. That's so, right. Billy Long, you get the award of the day, my friend, and, and kudos. Now, I, I'm hoping, Eddie, most of those Republicans voted against it because they thought it was a bad idea, not because they wanted to spend even more on the Ukraine. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to give them the benefit of the doubt. But we know from Billy, uh, Yvette Harrell has not released a statement that I've seen yet, but uh, Billy Long uh, says his people do not want $40 billion to Ukraine when we have so many problems here at home. Down your top five is brought to you at uh, rockoftalk.chat. That's rockoftalk.chat. Lay it on us. Yeah, folks, uh, your picks, uh, your decision uh, to uh, click on these links. Number one was a story from Reason, something we probably can all relate to to some extent. The IRS stole $107,000, $107,000 from a man, and uh, they had to go to court to get it back uh, just because they felt like it and because they could get away with it. He, uh, he had a good law firm working for him uh, and just night one of the worst irs stories i've ever heard uh number two uh the las cruces police department have uh, confiscated numerous packages of thc candy uh, wow. uh that resemble resemble popular snacks but are infused with thc the psychoactive substance uh that produces the high that you have with weed that's at the school district down in las cruces every day i get a little more toward turning my back on drug legalization if it you know if this is what we're seeing more of. Uh, number three, the Albuquerque, city of Albuquerque. Oh, somebody who was running for uh, mayor said he didn't want to do settlements anymore. Uh, the $50,000 settlement paid out for the family of a guy who was beaked out of his drug uh, mind on drugs and he was shot mm. by the Albuquerque policeman, uh, police department. Uh, number four, the candidate questionnaire from the Eastern New Mexico News interviewing oh, yeah. all the Republicans didn't quite set the Rock of Talk standard that I would mm. think, you know, media really should shoot for. But some interesting answers in there, none, nonetheless. And a uh, fascinating look. Uh, next week, we are going to have our first UFO hearing at, in Congress in wow. 50 years. And, of course, here in New Mexico, we have mild, mild interest in that issue. Uh, those are the top five most clicked clicks, ladies and gentlemen. And you can get all this information every day for less than 20 cents a day. Rockoftalk.chat. All right, uh, hour three, you and me, and no doubt will not make three. Dowd will check out. I'll bring in uh, Rebecca Dow here for uh, uh, no relation to Dowd, uh, by the way, first and last name. Uh, let me give us some deep thoughts real quick on the way out. Why don't you uh, bring up some music there, uh, producer Eric, uh, some of your best. And then, of course, we'll be back for hour number four. <clears throat> oh, yeah. We ain't going to survive unless we're a little bit crazy, right? And, uh, yeah, you know, he does a good... Uh, Radiohead. Uh, i got to wear my Radiohead shirt. I found that growing up means being honest about what I want, what I need, what I feel, and who I am. How about Fauci now says COVID is here to stay and up to each individual to calculate how much risk they're willing to take themselves. He now has the same opinion he spent over two years vilifying for me having. Uh, how about this? If you're experiencing emotional trauma from Elon Musk buying Twitter, you've lived a life of privilege beyond the comprehension of nearly all humans throughout history. <laughs> That's a good one. Uh, let's see, Bubba Wallace, Garage News, 15 FBI agents, three hard drives with evidence of criminal act committed by Joe Biden's son, no agents assigned uh, by the FBI. And uh, how about this? Finally, a book can teach you, a conversation can assure you, a poem can seduce you, a genius can inspire you, but you, only you, can save yourself. All right, back after the top of the hour news. Thanks, everybody, for tuning in. Thanks for listening. That's my only This is The Rock of Talk on AM 1600 KIVA Albuquerque.
in the 505 with more 411 here for your third hour. I'm Eddie Urig on the Rock of Talk on AM 1600 KIVABQ.FM, rockoftalk.com. Here with the gubernatorial candidate, Rebecca Dow, playing a little Led Zeppelin because one of the most notable things about her campaign is uh, I may have uh, been given the softest uh, political T-shirt of my entire existence. And uh, <laughs> it was pretty amazing. Back in 2011, one of the rarest rock T-shirts in the world, and I wear a lot of them, sold for 10 grand. It's the largest I've ever paid for any vintage T-shirt. So for those of you paying, you know, 10, 15, 20 bucks, that's pretty good. Or you get them free for Rebecca Dow's campaign. She's rocking uh, her campaign. The record-setting sale of a 79 Led Zeppelin T-shirt on eBay was sold by a guy by the name of Kyle in Stormcrow Vintage. Uh, The recent completion of the transaction placed the purchase of the world's rarest and most expensive vintage T-shirt. And the uh, one I actually have on today is an Enjoy Coca-Cola T-shirt. And we... Yep, joined by gubernatorial candidate. She's raised the second uh, most amount of money in the gubernatorial race. And uh, she wants your vote. She wants your attention. And she's getting a lot of people's attention. And Rebecca Dow joins us now live in studio to talk about what's happening here in, well, the state of New Mexico. Things are on fire. And uh, Rebecca, you know a lot about leadership uh, here in the state. And we're just going to keep the focus on the other side. Okay. We're in the middle of the primary. And, uh, you know, we're hearing on uh, national news, Michelle Lujan Grisham. And you you actually know about this. These were prescribed burns that actually just vaunted, uh, vaulted out of control. How are you today? I'm doing great. I'm doing great. I mean, it's it's very sad. It's heartbreaking to see our state on fire. Uh, so many people displaced from their homes, uh, the structures that preceded our statehood that are gone forever and all completely avoidable. And not just that this is a prescribed burn, but bad policy and managing our natural resources for years, making this ripe for catastrophic fire. Um, so, you know, even even as our state is burning from a controlled burn in Lincoln National Forest, they're talking about cutting glazing uh, grazing allotments. What we should be doing is increasing grazing allotments so that cattle can, in essence, <laughs> serve as a lawnmower. All right, you're and, talking to yeah. an urban cowboy here. Okay. I don't okay. know as much as you do, but uh, yeah. you just probably said uh, something that I have no idea. Okay, so tell me what, what you're saying in okay. terms of the grazing. And I know you hail from uh, TRC, you know a lot of ranchers, not a lot, know a lot of oil people, uh, guys and gals out, out sure. there. Tell us about what you're saying. Well, let me, let me just say first, if you eat food, you're, you should be vested in agriculture, whether you're an urban you know, live in a city or you live in the country. Mm-hmm. 6% of Americans produce the food for all the rest of us. And they, right now, under this uh, woke agenda, are being villainized. And cattle is no exception. So, and, and commercial logging. So those are two, two different things that are under attack in our state and across the nation. We used to have commercial logging. Maybe it was too much, but we know a lot about land management and where to hit the right uh, combination of prescribed burns, not in 60 mile an hour winds, paired with responsible thinning and logging. Those things can be done by private citizens and private industry. Instead, we have the federal government making all those decisions. 
So what we see is, you know, people cannot get a permit to go cut and get logs from the mountains to heat their homes. Uh, we're not removing at a scale rapid enough to avoid catastrophic fires. We okay. are not removing non-native plants. Juniper is an example. Dead and diseased trees from our forests. So our forests are overcrowded. If you've ever started a fire, you start off with little pieces of dry wood. Kindling. Yeah, kindling. Kindling. That's our forest. The ground of our forest is covered, in essence, in kindling. Because we are not grazing as we should. We're not thinning as we should or doing land and vegetation management as we should. So when there's a drought and there's a high wind and a power line falls, as what happened over in, in Lincoln, you get a fire. And it's catastrophic because we're not doing anything to prevent that fire from going very, very hot, very, very rapidly. Why have we not heard more about that, about how this started? Why are we not? Uh, I mean, I, we know the answer to this, but I want we want to hear it from one of our gubernatorial candidates well, we're not, because we're not hearing anything. Right. It, it, it doesn't really fit the narrative because the narrative is cattle are bad. Um, you know, a, a commercial industry on public lands is bad. That's what we're hearing. We have a governor who just did an executive order for 50 percent of New Mexico's land to be owned by state and federal government by the year 2030. We have a governor who's trying to put taxpayer dollars to purchase private property and put it into conservation easement, take it out of commercial production. And that's taking our state in the wrong direction. I mean, there's so many things that are flawed with this. And this isn't the first time that the federal government has started a fire and a controlled burn. That's what happened in Los Alamos a few years ago. I mean, that's where how the Los Alamos fire started. We're here with Rebecca Dow. She's a gubernatorial candidate. She wants to hold the governor's uh, feet to the fire. Sorry for the metaphorical expression yeah, in, in all this. No, not a good one today because uh, we've got $65 million is what we have spent. 1,700 firefighters, uh, numerous public appearances, and people, well, we're not losing any structures. I noticed something that was interesting. There's so many, you know, front page news stories. I know you can see them up here in the Albuquerque mm -hmm. Journal about uh, the personal uh, issues and tragedies that people are going through. We lost this, we lost that. And then we literally hear her this morning here on this Wednesday, May the 11th, Rebecca. And the, what's, what is she talking about? We don't have any structures that have been burned. So what, what is what the truth? What structures is she talking about? Uh, I mean, you can, I don't know. We're not hearing about any structures about according to her. Government-owned structures, which seems to be the only thing she cares about. You know, I mean, I, I don't understand what she's talking about. I mean, hundreds of homes have burned down. Hundreds right. of structures have burned down. I don't I don't know what that is in reference to. Yeah, These that was this morning on NPR. Yeah, NPR. Interesting. Well, yeah. It, you know, it's, un, it's not much different than what she said when she was asked about securing the border and the fentanyl coming across the border. Her answer to that question is fentanyl comes from China. I mean, this is how disconnected this governor is with the everyday New Mexican and the crisis that we're facing on a daily basis. Let's break that down a little bit yeah. and let's understand, you know, what what she did when she first came in, which is uh, remove the National Guard. And, you know, we have uh, managed to have the uh, two worst years, three worst years uh, consecutively, increasingly, despite the fact that you guys increased the budget up at the state legislature. It should be known that you are a state legislator. And uh, one of the leaders of the Republican Party up in Santa Fe. So thank you for your work up there. But uh, Rebecca, this is something that she has amplified uh, during her administration uh, and yeah. uh, has to do with the fact that we are porous. Texas is not. Arizona is not. Uh, Arizona is also will get to abortion as well because I can't wait to get with you. You're a mother and a grandmother, you know, about bringing life into this world. I think that's an important question right now, but we'll get to that in, in a moment. Well, let's talk about immigration here yeah. in, in New Mexico and just how bad it's made uh, the crime and how rampant it is uh, here in the state. Yeah. So we have an open border. 
uh, Biden's policies are failing us. Uh, border security is national security. And instead, we have just free reign to cross cross. I look at Arizona. I look at Texas. They've got a House and a Senate that's cooperating and doing the very best that they can, putting the money behind law enforcement efforts, everything that they can do to secure the border. Biden's failed policies present them, prevent them from being able to deport criminals who've come across Texas property, Arizona property illegally. And so, I mean, you see Abbott investing everything he can and now driving people to D.C. to drop them off in the at the mall, you know, as close as he can get them to the Capitol, to the to the White House so that people can see the impact. But what we have in New Mexico is what they call the gotaways. So, I mean, we're, we're talking two years ago when Trump was president in the month of March, less than 30,000 illegal immigrants crossed into the United States and he was able to send them back. Now, last month, it was over 250,000, something like that. And if Title 42 goes away, they're estimating half a million a month. Every person who comes in here illegally and begins to receive benefits, because that's what Biden is doing, is providing them with the resources they need to have a, to live, to have a quality life better than the promises. We're breaking promises to our senior citizens. We're breaking promises to our military veterans. We are creating a, 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 a crisis of where we are, our output from our, our social programs exceeds our input. And it, it's it's a bad situation. It's contributing to the cost of goods sold. It's contributing to inflation. And we, we've got to first, America first, and keep our promises to Americans first. We uh, And so what we have in New Mexico is the gotaways. And this is a criminal element. People are going to El Paso and Arizona, going to the port of entry, seeking uh, refugee and asylum status, which Biden is embracing and allowing them to do. In New Mexico, it's the criminal element. It's people in camouflage coming in the dead of night with uh, military-grade uh, weapons. They're wearing carpet shoes so that no one sees them. And because Biden is not maintaining roads, our Border Patrol cannot respond in real time. Because Michelle has removed the National Guard, our Border Patrol agents, who are highly trained and capable of doing their job, are instead are spending 60 to 80% of their time on comfort and care of these, these folks that are coming across. So we don't have... That's a huge cost. Oh, we don't have the age. These guys make $100,000 a year. They're highly trained. They have a job to do. It's to secure the border. And instead, they're being, they're processing. And they're doing comfort and care of all these people coming across, which is leaving our border wide open for the criminal element. Those that are bringing drugs, those that are doing human trafficking, those with the most ill intent for our state. And that is why we are seeing 600% in fentanyl and seeing the extreme uh, amounts of, it's, 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 crazy how much human trafficking when office of medical investigators down from my area call me and they say hey we just pulled a couple more bodies out of the boot hill and again it's women and children because they are a tool they are a tool for the cartel to use for their agenda which is criminal and not good for new mexico our children are our future uh, under trump's administration uh, we were at less than ten thousand uh, in the middle of uh july of 2017 we were at our lowest level ever this is really you know, fantastic when you look at these, these numbers, because we were trying to encourage a stay at home, you know, raping, uh, you know, using them as uh, burros uh, yeah. to travel and uh, traffic drugs. And then from 2017, it started gradually going up to 2018, 2019. Uh, but we never reached over during Trump's administration over 50,000 until after May of 2019, where they said, oh, we're going to shut everything down, change the policies. And then it went all the way back down again to its lowest levels of 10,000. And then just to your point that you were making, your data point, this is the highest it has ever been in the United States. The migrant encounters are now at over 200,000 a month. Migrant encounters at the southwestern border 
have soared in recent months. If Texas is closed and Arizona is closed, is it any wonder where they're going? It's either California or New Mexico, and we know everyone's leaving California. So I would imagine that this is probably the largest number of illegal immigrants that are coming into the United States that has ever been here in in uh, in New Mexico based and, upon the and new policy. And people policies. are waiting. People are waiting at the border for Title 42 to end. We are going to see this flood, this flood of folks coming across the border. And um, we've got to get back to the basics. We've got to secure our border. And that's why I would redeploy the National Guard, bring in every federal partnership that we have, FBI, ICE, Anti-Terrorism Task Force, uh, uh, embrace and take every penny that we have from uh, Stone Garden, which increases the presence of law enforcement for border counties. Um, we've, we need to get the roads need to be maintained so that the border patrol agents can, can be there in real time and they can respond to incidents as they occur. They're asking for fiber optic community and, and other uh, points of technology so that they can see incidents in real time and prioritize where to go because there's just not enough of them. But redeploying the National Guard is job one, day one, so that the law enforcement officers can do their job of protecting and securing the border and dealing with illegal immigration. We're speaking with Rebecca Dow. She's a gubernatorial candidate. We've covered a couple of issues thus far. Uh, our most recent is our national emergency declared. We're front page news on radio, TV, as well as uh, obviously here in our local newspapers, uh, encountering one of the biggest fires that we have ever seen here in the state of New Mexico. And it is a tragic uh, event, but one that could have been prevented with better forest management, uh, according to Rebecca Dow. And then, of course, another thing that ails us is the huge amount of crime. That's what she's running on. And we know that's directly related to the number of illegal immigrants that are coming in. That's not the only place, but it's a large proportion uh, of that. Let's tackle crime itself, just in general. And, you know, we understand that prosperous places, uh, by and large, Rebecca, you know, don't have that much crime. I think they're kind of uh, one symptomatic and one's causal. Symptomatic in the sense that you have more crime where there's less prosperity. We can certainly say that that is definitely the case for a, a, a dependent state like New Mexico. And then on the flip side of that, it's causal. Less prosperity means you have to figure out more ways to make ends meet. And sometimes that uh, results in taking of other people's property, commercial crime, uh, other things, uh, uh, crimes of desperation. I'd like for you to speak to that, one, as a legislator, and two, what you would do different as governor than what Michelle Lujan Grisham has been uh, doing to pulverize our state. Well, I think this is a good point for me to just say, like, if you have conservative voters out there and they're probably getting the mailers from my opponent, I think there's two people in the race. It's me and Mark Ronchetti. And he's trying to discredit my record and my fight to uh, reduce crime in New Mexico. So I just just real quick, I'm just, uh, I'll forget because I've done so many things to address crime and I'm tough on crime, which is why the New Mexico's District Associate, District Attorney's Association yesterday named me their legislator of the year. And I was really humbled. Every DA said, let's get a picture together for Rebecca. And so, um, you know, and, and gave me an award and, and recognized my efforts, which is sponsoring House Bill 35, enhanced penalties for firearms used in a crime. Because law-abiding citizens should not have their right to bear arms restricted. But if someone uses a firearm in a crime, let's, let's punish them. Uh, firearms and controlled substance penalties, change some statutes of limitations, pretrial release, denial of bail, recognition of victims in, in violent crimes, um, and fought against the felony voting rights. They're trying to give, you know, rights to felons to vote. Fought against the habitual offender uh, judicial flexibility, which would have made it uh, discretionary for offender enhancements rather than making them mandatory. The the parole procedures for medical and ge ge geriatric uh, paroles uh, voted against that. And um, so there's a misrepresentation of my record. I, I talked to the DAs on a weekly basis during the legislative session. 
My sheriffs within my district, I have three counties, are on speed dial. We talk all the time. And so, um, you know, I, I'm proud of that recognition from the District Attorneys Association and, um, and will continue to be tough on crime. What I'm going to do is respond to what law enforcement officers, what prosecutors are asking for. And so they send us every year, they have legislative agendas. They bring bills to our desks that tell us the funding that they need. We need to fund them back the blue and not defund them. If I were governor, I would have vetoed the uh, a move, removal of qualified immunity. Our law enforcement officers need that. Uh, we need to pass the bills they're asking for. They're asking for um, enhanced trainings. They they have no problem with the body cams, but what this governor did was mandate those body cams without funding, no appropriation, which means we have less law enforcement officers in the streets. So that is ha the backdoor way of defunding the police. And so we need to fund them, fully fund them, honor and respect what they're requesting so that they, they can do their job. We've got to pay prosecutors more. One of the things that the governor's vetoed and we had to go back and fix in that last special session was raises for our prosecutors. We need prosecutors who are highly qualified and can do the job and get convictions and they're not paid enough. In the end, you know, they were asking for a larger raise than what they got. And in the end, it was bipartisan support, even though this governor was opposing it, to get raises to those prosecutors so that we can have good lawyers and good attorneys fighting the fight with us and getting those prosecutions. All right, our, so let's, let's stop there for okay. a sec, because let's go back to qualified immunity. Explain, yeah. explain that to our audience. I think that was a seismic shift of what happened there with our police officers. They feel completely and totally unprotected. They feel now that they're personally liable for what happens on the street. You can't ask a single police officer to enforce anything if they are not going to be immune from some of the actions that they're forced to take in order to protect themselves, their brethren, and the community. That's right. That's right. And you add to that the Department of Justice situation in Bernalillo County where, you know, someone is breaking into a home and a law enforcement officer responds. They're fleeing the scene. They tackle them in soft grass. These law enforcement officers are spending six to eight hours processing paperwork to make sure that these civil rights were not violated, you know, of the criminal. They're, you know, it, it, that, that they were treated properly and that they were not harmed in trying to prevent them from stealing and invading your personal property and fleeing the scene with your personal property. So they're, you know, they're like, and, and what's going to happen if I do get them six and eight hours of paperwork later, they're not on the streets protecting us, our children, our families, our businesses, they're processing paperwork the rest of the day. And so our streets are left uh, where criminals are, are free to roam and do what they want. I'm not, uh, you know, my friends and family, when they visit New Mexico, it's unusual for them not to tell me that they witnessed a crime while they're here visiting wow. in Albuquerque. Yeah. And that's yeah. got to change. So yeah, the prosecutors are part of it. Oh, that has become part of our postcard, uh, certainly. And we have uh, enabled that. We'll get to the movie yeah. industry and we'll get into all of that. Uh, television industry just uh, finished the last uh, season of uh, Breaking a Bad, which is uh, Better Call Saul. And uh, that, of course, gets into it. But let's also talk about uh, crime from a policing standpoint. Funding, depolicing, yeah. and now I think the complete I 180 that's been done by this administration and the rest of the Democrats across the country, which is we're shifting from Black Lives Matter to refund the police. Let's get back there. We have a, a, a midterm. We see that happening with this governor. She has defunded the police. She has defunded local police departments. They have not made it a priority. They've been making deals with Black Lives Matter. Uh, speak to that if you would. Well, I mean, that's exactly right. I mean, they, they this was going to be this this huge criminal justice reform session, and it was an utter failure. The things that law enforcement officers asked for in general did not pass, and the things they asked to not happen did. And so, you know, I, when one more thing about the qualified immunity, it, it applies 
the the law enforcement officers are are asked they're getting personal insurance so that they can protect themselves and their property and their home and their family but even more than that it this was a trial the trial attorneys won on this because the trial attorneys gets to sue the municipality and there's up to two million dollars per civil rights violation so the qualified immunity assumes that in an emergency in a situation when you're trying to protect the public and you're making a, a swift decision that you did the best you could for and the assumption is that you did the best you could under the circumstances. Removing that puts the burden on the law enforcement officers to prove that they didn't violate someone's civil rights. And it's the municipality that has to pay for that. And here we are in the state of New Mexico, 43 cities and municipalities have a budget smaller than one claim. So as these claims are starting to move forward, one of the communities in my district has an $11 million claim that they're paying out right now. That means less money for roads, less money for infrastructure, less money for uh, law enforcement officers, those dollars, that has an impact. And it, let's say it's a nursing home, you know, wherever it is, right. anytime that, that, that we allow um, public safety to become secondary to the criminal's rights, then we're moving in the wrong direction. And this is, you know, this is a priority bill of Michelle Lujan Grisham. And it She's seems proud like of that's, it. that's the only thing that we do care about is how the criminals are being treated. And let's get back to the eternal the yep. litigation part of it. Uh, these laws that were passed, many by Democratic lawmakers, and, you know, we want to see where you're at just so for, we can clarify the record. Uh, people can try and say there's mandatory minimums that are going to be awarded, regardless if that's ever, ever even been taken to trial now. That's also part of this qualified immunity, which is mandatory million dollars. Who's making the money? Those are the attorneys defending the criminals uh, because their rights, rights were violated. We can't even so much as arrest somebody for less than a thousand dollar Shop, shoplifting, property crime, and as we all know, that broken window theory stands true. And that means if you commit the small crimes, you're willing to be do the more brazen things and take the bigger crimes. But it seems to me that the attorneys have really been, and the attorney legislators have really driven uh, much of this, uh, Rebecca. They you have. Work, you work with a lot of these people. Mm-hmm. What do you think about uh, my statement? Oh, they absolutely do. I mean, you look at the civil rights attorneys are the ones that they're actually presenting these bills and passing the bills. And they vote on these bills and they represent the clients for a living. And uh, somehow there's no ethics violation in that. Right. Uh, but it's <laughs> You it's get just, both sides. You get to make the laws and then benefit by the mandatory yeah. that are paid out and represent yeah. the actual criminals. That's insane. Right. But I mean, so so we've got to we've got to address that. We've t- we talked about, you know, backing up other enforcement officers and empowering them to do their job, giving them the budget that they need so that we can gain we can hire are we not adequately funded i mean how do we know i mean that's one of the things because we do know that our police officers do make a pretty decent amount of money we have uh, over 160 of them here in the albuquerque police department itself that make well into the six figures uh twice what you make and by the way congratulations on declaring your taxes uh, here on the front page uh that i think that whole entire conversation emanated uh, from our discussion here on the radio and you know, thanks for being so transparent on that. I think that that is very, very yeah. good. But, you know, are are we adequately funded as far as funding uh, our crime, crime stopping resources, if you will? Well, I think I think there's a, a balance between finding the right amount of pay, uh, retirement and benefits, but also quality of life. Okay. And so when you're not being respected and you're taking a job sure. where every odd go. is against you yeah. <laughs> and quali- you're going to risk your life immunity. every day, right. yeah. qualified immunity, the processing and paperwork, you know, all the things that are piled up on our law enforcement officers, then clearly the pay is not enough or we wouldn't have hundreds of vacancies. 
Yeah, I would uh, completely agree with that. And I think that uh, more importantly, the data backs up uh, what you're saying. We're here with Rebecca Dow. Uh, Rebecca, how could we find your website? Uh, yeah, it's, it's Rebecca for NM.com. Uh, we're on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. My cell phone number is 575-571-1056. You know, uh, we are in this race. It's 25 days away. The percentage of undecided voters makes this any person's race. We are looking for volunteers. What is the number of, what is the number of undecided voters? Well, I mean, it depends on, it depends on what you look like. If if you want to look at the, the worst in my case, you know, the poll that would say that I'm in the worst position, which this is the only poll I've seen internal, any, any, you know, from the pre-primary convention to anything that's out there. Uh, having us anything but just Mark Ronkedian in this in this race. But if you want to look at the KOB one, I think they surveyed uh, the, they were able to reach 500 voters, uh, almost all landlines, a uh, disproportionate number from Bernalillo. Well, why does that matter? What's the difference between well, landlines and stuff? I mean, I know. I, I, I mean, I can't. The only person I call my landline is is my mother. Right. Okay. So it, it's a particular type of voter who has a landline still, and they may have a different perception than the everyday New Mexican or the people who are engaged in the political process who only have cell phones today. And so maybe an older group, uh, maybe, you know, I, I mean, it's, it's just, it, it, it's what is used to define something on its reliability. And okay. so that's why I think they're calling it a survey instead of a poll. So you don't think you're selling us. You don't think you're selling us or telling us a story. I mean, you you frankly believe, and I think the people who have donated your campaign, you have uh, a lot of money on hand still. Yeah. You have nearly half a million dollars. Yeah. So they still believe in you. Oh and, no, we're and, we're in this race. We're in this race. It's between me and Mark Ronchetti. Okay. And if you look at the the undecided votes on most polls, you see the undecided is still over thirty percent. So it's anyone's race. So people who are listening who want an everyday New Mexican, who grew up in New Mexico, raised their kids in New Mexico, uh, had, you know, started businesses and understands a regulatory environment, has legislative experience, we're the candidate, you know? And so having started with 3% name ID from absolutely nothing and to be a front runner in this race for us is humbling. And it's because of people. I believe the governor's the most powerful person in the state and their jobs to give the power back to the people. I believe our individual state rights are at risk as well as our constitutional republic. If we don't have a fighter, I'm a proven fighter. And so folks that are out there that are on the Dow team, we need your help. We need people to make phone calls, knock doors, put up signs, get one of those super soft t-shirts that are the best tribal and t-shirts. They are very super We do nothing soft. less than the best for our volunteers. <laughs> and um, we have, we're having a lot of fun out on the trail and we're gaining momentum every day. We've got back-to-back meetings uh, this week in Albuquerque in the Rio Rancho area. And we're having great turnout, you know, just being recognized for our hard work. And, you know, you know, you're doing well when your opponent whose first campaign promise is not to go negative and to only build and unite the Republican Party has spent over six hundred thousand dollars just basically trying to to discredit my conservative record as a conservative leader in this state. You know, one of the few, uh, you know, we don't have a lot of Republican lawmakers and I'm a leader in this state and in southern New Mexico. And so, you know, having to spend six six hundred thousand plus dollars just just trashing me and misrepresenting who I am tells me that we're in the race. She is Rebecca Dow, and she is uh, very confident and uh, wants you to visit uh, her website. And I'm looking at this right here, and there's no doubt that this uh, emanated directly from our conversation, which is I asked you to disclose your taxes directly on there. And I guess the Albuquerque Journal decided to ask everybody else to go and do that as well, because I think what people really want to know is where does Michelle Lujan Grisham, we've heard these unbelievable amounts of uh, uh, declarations that have been stated, and it looks like... uh, you know, the woman uh, makes uh, what she makes on her annual salary at about $80,000 in investments. So she's about 190000 a year. Uh, she's got her federal tax uh, stuff, but uh, she's been very transparent. One of the things that we need, and I'm disappointed to see uh, three such candidates who have left their uh, tax records uh, out of this. And I think that people want to know 
where people are at and how they relate to the common New Mexican. Um, you and your husband, you are not rich people and uh, you're working on behalf of New Mexicans. And I think that that's, that's important. I think one of the things that you repeated multiple times there is the name recognition or brand recognition. Yeah. Why should people know Rebecca Dow from Santa Fe? What should they know about Rebecca Dow prior to being in the governor's race? Well, if I were to go find, you know, Joe Schmo on the street and they said, oh, I think I've heard that name before. Uh, what do you think that they should be saying? What people would say in truth or consequences is that I'm someone who came back to the community that raised me and launched programs to help families get out of government dependency into self-sufficiency. We had Fiesta Day parades last weekend. It's the first one I missed in 22 years because we're out on the trail. Oh, wow. And I saw people posting things like, look, Rebecca founded this program. Look, Rebecca started this business. Look here. There's like, look at the impact that Rebecca's had in our community. And it's not me. It's me rallying, rallying people who have a shared agenda, whether it's economic development, risk, reducing risky behavior, strengthening behavioral health services, uh, helping families and, and tr non-traditional students get GED and credit recovery and building these programs from nothing, beginning at the age of 26, creating over 70 jobs in my community. And, and I'm, I'm really proud. The other day I saw a list of the employees at the Truth or Consequences Municipal School District, and there was dozens of them that got their start, you know, their first job is at one of my, uh, the companies that I've started and uh, went into education, social work, nursing, and now they're serving right in our local community. And it's, it's um, I think that model can be replicated at a state level. And it takes someone who understands the regulatory environment, who has navigated uh, what it's like to do a business and deal with bureaucracy in New Mexico, but also being able to take people and help them become the first in their family to go to college, to get a certification, to have a career pathway, and to set something better, break you know, we talked about what creates crime. Uh, they, some people call it the diseases of poverty and breaking those diseases by making hopes and dreams and, and helping people get past that cliff of government dependency into self-sufficiency. And it needs to happen at a statewide level. I met some of the people who knew you or have known you for years. In fact, uh, one person who is uh, part of the Republican party, I believe that she uh, attended the Aria Dosa meeting and Boy, I was uh, really taken aback at the strength of the relationship that you had with her. And uh, that's a testament to the type of person uh, that uh, people who know you best. And I think was, that that's an important thing. That was that was a humbling experience at the, the pre-primary convention. It was Our room was really, really crowded. I, I didn't get to visit with everyone who came to cheer us on. Uh, but it was um, very humbling to have three different people who had worked for me before who are now across the state doing great things in their community, you know, who showed up, became delegates and came to vote for us. And, you know, we're saying like, Rebecca, you know, you helped me get my start. You let me invest in the community in a meaningful way. And now I'm doing that in, in my, in a different county in New Mexico. And just being there to help me and cheer me on was, that's pretty humbling. Let's talk about pro-life. Uh, Roe yeah. v. Wade, how, does that impact the gubernatorial race? You know, I, I think it will. I, I think how? that people need to consider the fact, well, there's a couple of things. Not only do I believe that life begins at conception and that uh, this has been the greatest genocide of this generation, but the fact that the Supreme Court could be ruling that and giving control back to states, local control at the state level, which is what I believe our con that is a correct interpretation of our Constitution. Uh, it's very clear that the only duties that are delegated to the federal government are the ones that the state give them. And if you read what our founding fathers intended, that's around things like national security, uh, world peace, you know, like sovereignty issues. And so we've gone so, so far away from that. And this could be a course correction that that sets law around individual state rights, which is a good thing that would give us more management over our state parks, perhaps over our state and our, our natural resources that we need to do. 
So where that can lead, I think, is important in the gubernatorial race. As far as life, you know, I found out I was pregnant when I was 19. I was at college. And um, luckily, the state that I was in had informed consent. And I saw an ultrasound at nine weeks. I saw my daughter's heartbeat. And I knew that I was responsible for a life. There's no doubt about it. That was a unique DNA. There was a heartbeat. There was life. And so it was the most rewarding decision that I made to choose life. And um, I've spent 20 years investing in families, mostly vulnerable populations, uh, typically low income and, and, and minority, helping them succeed in their goals in the circumstances where they may have an unexpected pregnancy as well, investing in the community with behavioral health programs and with um, reducing risk of behavior and teen pregnancy rates. Those are all things that need to happen in the state at a statewide level. And I think it's a, an important conversation and it will come up in debates in the general. And I, I, I mean, it's hard for me to imagine how Mark Ronchetti would navigate that. I want to talk about women's health care rights. I want to talk about how now, offended I am. Why do you I say am. that? I want to, I want to, uh, so you're, I want to know why, uh, how, how you think that he might address that versus you and why that's better in the general election. Well, I mean, I, I have a personal experience with an unplanned pregnancy. Mm -hmm. And one of the narrative is that we, that uh, conservatives only care about life until they're born. Uh, everything I've done for the last two decades is contrary to that. And so, you know, I, not only did I, I mean, I am the perfect poster child of someone who should have had an abortion. Here I am on a scholarship at a private university and um, I, everything is ahead of me. I had $20 in the bank. Uh, it was a complete course correction to choose to have a child. And I believe that women are capable enough and deserve the right that I got uh, to know what my options were, to have informed consent and I chose life. And 85% of women who get that also choose life. New Mexico doesn't do that. We don't even have a standard of care. If anybody wants to prove me wrong, you just show me the regulations around abortion in the state. There are none. It's an unregulated industry, which is why you just see a million plus settlement on a 27 week, you know, abortion of an elective abortion of a, a woman who was 27 weeks pregnant and she died, her child died, and there was no informed consent. There was no standard of care and she should not been, uh, uh, had that abortion without knowing the risks involved. So you get more information about getting eyebrow threading or getting a tattoo in the state of New Mexico than knowing what the risks are of having a third trimester. You know, uh, the later you are in your pregnancy, the more risky that behavior is. We've made huge investments in social programs to lift up families who choose life. We need to do better around adoption, but having that conversation about, I'm offended. I'm offended when people believe that women are not capable of choosing life and setting life goals around education, career, income, uh, managing their home and work and balancing those things and succeeding in those goals. We can do it all. Given the We're amount powerful. of money that we uh, spend on government programs. Oh, by the way, I was born to an 18-year-old mother, just uh, FYI, my 19-year-old father. And they're still together. Uh, they'll be celebrating their uh, 50th anniversary here in just a few years. And I'm excited about Congratulations that. Congratulations to yeah. them. And Aaron and I are the same. Uh, we are 30 years in November. That's and, and my daughter has her master's in social work and she does infant mental health and that's working with children who've had a disruption with their relationship with their families and how to how to mend that relationship when it's been broken. Uh, a lot of that comes from abuse and neglect and substance and mental health issues. But I mean, it's how do we repair and set children on a path towards success? Yeah, let's, let's yeah. go in that direction. Well, I but think I'm sorry, it, I didn't yeah. want to yeah, no, I, no, no, let's go in that direction. I think that's even better because now you just kind of opened up, I think, this whole idea about the amount of dependency, yet at the very same time, we do need you know, so a level of compassion and there are things that neither nonprofits provide or 
private uh, donations provide. And yeah, that's where definitely sort of the, be local community. You know, that's where the uh, yeah. governments can sort of uh, fit in where there are required resources where people feel a little dispassionate or uninspired or don't feel like it, the focus should be. I, for one, don't be, believe in drug rehabilitation. Uh, and you probably disagree with that. I just don't believe in, in any of it. Uh, if you take the drugs, you're old enough to take them. And, and you know, just because I haven't been through that type of situation. But I, I will say this, there is amount of compassion that should be dispensed, I think, from our side of the aisle uh, by Republicans. I'd like for you to kind of yeah. tread carefully. Does that go through yeah. churches? I know you're the daughter of a pastor. Uh, does that go through the government? I know that you are an employee or, excuse me, uh, someone who, who gets a little bit of her income from the state government. Uh, how, did, how do you think it should be allocated? Well, What's the good balance? What's a good strike point? I think the, the solutions are in the local communities. I mean, we are, we're in a state where over half of our state is, has uh, some, some form of assistance from the government, and there are federal programs that exist. But I really, in, in many cases, to me, those solutions are more effective. And if you looked at evidence-based models, they're happening in local communities through nonprofit organizations. And, um, you know, in our state, what I see as a failure of the progressive agenda is give everybody something for nothing, whether it's universal pre-K right. or it's, now it's free childcare, it's universal healthcare. Everyone deserves free internet, free everything. But if we really want to turn our state around, we need to target our effects on the most vulnerable populations. And when I think about equity, I think about, uh, you know, Title I services that the federal government sends to help low-income at-risk kids with extra tutoring or homework help, or a child who has special needs who gets a, um, an IEP, an individual's, uh, individualized education plan to help them reach their full potential. That, to me, uh, creates the equity that we need to give everyone a chance to live out the American dream. And so um, I am not for, and the evidence doesn't back up universal programs as a way to help people towards self-sufficiency. What yeah. I would rather see is us targeting most families, the most at-risk families in our state need lots of services. They need lots of interventions. It would actually cost taxpayers less to focus on the families who need it most, focus on the children and the individuals who need it most, those vulnerable populations, and help them with the resources they need to break that cycle versus uh, we're spending just, there's no amount of money that we can ever spend to get to the universal everything that progressives want. And, and it's not needed. It's not necessary. And you take early childhood, for example, which is where my life has been. One family could benefit just from getting, you know, a library card and being encouraged to read 15 minutes a day to their children, which is one of the most affordable ways to assure that your child has good bonding yeah. with their parents, yep. developing social emotionally, and right. goes to kindergarten ready to succeed. I mean, right. it costs nothing to get a library card and go use your public library. That's government funded. Yep. But instead, you know, oh, we want everyone in pre-K. We're just going to make the assumption that all three and four-year-olds should be in full-day year-round free school. And that's not where research says it. it says parents. Parents are the number one indicator yep. of student success Absolutely. and what's happening outside the school day. So we got to support the families. Success. That's support what we family. need to support the families. And and the best families way to do need... it is job creation. That's right. Uh, like yep. I, when you talk about oil and gas, yeah. they've been big donors of you. That funds the government. <laughs> uh, uh, we've decided to go uh, against that. And uh, it's interesting because you've been sort of uh, touted as these anti-ETA, uh, or excuse me, pro-ETA, not at all. Person, I oppose the Energy stuff, Transition but, Act. I'm but we look, it. but we look at your. Uh, you looked at the record, and we looked at the amount of money that you just received financially, and uh, you convinced these oil and gas people to jump on your side. So, uh, and well, it, I think there's a there's a difference. The, the oil sure. and gas folks that are contributing to me are independent petroleum producers. Okay. they're people who live in New Mexico and they have what's called a stripper well. It's kind of at its end of life. Um, the big companies that can comply with all the ETA standards and all this crazy stuff, you know, they're giving to Michelle. And so it's the everyday New Mexican and it's the local businesses that bought one well at a time and created 
uh, opportunity for their family that give and invest in their okay. community that create jobs in their community. Those are the ones that are at risk. They're the ones that are under attack. And so, you know, we just finished in the last couple of weeks, I toured the coal mine in San Juan as well as the power plant. And, you know, we, we, I tried, I was a co-sponsor on the bill that says, keep Escalante open, keep, reopen Escalante, keep the San Juan power plant open, add natural glass, gas to our clean energy portfolio standard. The Democrats killed that bill. The only thing that they did do is keep the San Juan power plant, which fuels the energy for Albuquerque, by the way, through the election. So you will not have brown outages this summer, but you will in the future. I was at that power plant last week. It is going to take, they're, they're closing it down. Well, unless we can stop it. It's, there are options. It doesn't have to be closed down, but that's what uh, the governor wants and that's what the progressives want. So that is a post-Obama EPA environmentally, uh, it, can, it meets with the air quality standards and does everything it needs to do while providing a baseline, a reliable source of energy, reliable and affordable source of energy for New Mexicans. They're closing that down and they're replacing it with 3,500 acres of solar panels on the ground. And that, and, and solar is not reliable. Mm -hmm. Wind is not reliable. I'm all for energy transition as it makes sense. This doesn't make sense. And I talked to a commercial realtor yesterday and he's like, yeah, I'm selling all kinds of land. It's almost all solar uh, producers. Because as if, unless we get a rapid course correction of these rules and regulations and executive orders, we're trying to switch to solar in such a rapid rate. It's going to take hundreds and thousands of acres of solar panels in our beautiful, pristine state to have any sort form of energy. And it's not reliable. And that's, of course, with the fact that we have zero population growth. Imagine if we were actually growing the way Arizona, Utah, you know, uh, Colorado and Texas are growing. I want to visit on and pick it up there next time. I want to talk about jobs in the economy. Um, you know, all the gubernatorial candidates can come in as often as they like. Uh, Rebecca has uh, certainly pushed the envelope on that. She oh, wants, I think wants, this is like my third time. Oh, they think it's good. Pushing I think the that, envelope? No, I think it's good. I, yeah. I meant that in a very positive <laughs> way. Hopefully you don't take that negative. No, no. I, I think people want to hear from their candidates. Yeah. People want to hear from you. You're an actual legislator. Mm -hmm. And then uh, I think one of the things that, uh, you know, you'd be remiss uh, by not saying here today is you want the people of Bernalillo County specifically to vote for you. Absolutely. I think that that's important. It's a point that you've you've made here. And, and I just have to say, I mean, regardless of where you come out and all this, uh, you've committed to being in the fight post uh, June, June 8th. Oh my gosh. And, well, I mean, I, and you're going to help the Republican uh, party win and take back this, uh, this state. That's important. The best way for me to do that is as a gubernatorial candidate. And right now, if you look at the races, you can see like, it's, it's, it's really sad and discouraging to see, uh, you know, my opponent just literally trying to discredit me, one of the leading conservative Republicans in this state, and to d be so divisive in this race. But that's okay. I'm in the race. I'm used to it. I'm used to it from progressives, uh, but, but I'm used to it. And never do I walk away. Never do I walk away. It's why I get stuff done. It's why people should vote for me in the primary. And we're having backyard parties, neighborhood, you know, I'll come to your office for lunch. Wherever I'm invited, I will go. And it doesn't matter if it's one person, 10 people, 50 people, 60 people, you know, 200 people in Silver City last month, wherever we're invited, we're going to go because this is an important election. It's, it matters the course of our state, our opportunity to thrive, but also our constitutional republic and where we land, you know, what it looks like to live out the American dream in this 245 year republic as we move forward. Boundless energy, state representative and gubernatorial candidate. 
She is Rebecca Dow, and uh, she wants your vote and support. Rebecca, how can people find you? Uh, go to our website, RebeccaForNM.com, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter. Call me, 575-571-1056. Early voting started yesterday. Uh, get your friends out. It's semi-primary elections, semi-open primary elections. So if you're a minor party, independent, decline the state, other, you can go in, register Republican, and vote for Rebecca Dow today. And early voting begins at the polls, I believe, on the 21st. Is that the date? I guess uh, this is absentee, right? Yeah, this absentee, is absentee. But you can go the, in to the annex in Berlino County and vote right now today. There you go, folks. I appreciate everybody joining us. Rebecca, thank you for being here. I know we'll thank see you. you again next week, and we'll see you all the way right up until Election Day, which is uh, June the 7th, I believe. Is that correct? That's correct. June 7th. So looking uh, forward to talking with you more next time. We'll visit the economy and bunch of other things uh, as well thanks everybody for tuning in hour four up next uh, the national portion of this show the rock of talk will be right here to take care of you for hours four from seven to eight thanks everybody for tuning in <laughs>